Tonight's episode of Colors of the Dark is sponsored by Verez Saraband and the Scream original motion picture soundtrack box set. As the latest installment of Scream lands in theaters, revisit the masterful scores from the horror franchise's first four films with the Scream original motion picture soundtrack box set. Available on four LPs or six CDs, each collection is housed in a unique jacket which folds out into the ghost face mask uh speaking of the new film the brand new score can also be ordered today on vinyl in a reflective mirror board jacket or on cd or digital formats own the musical legacy of screen visit your favorite retailer or shop the label store uh, sorry visit your favorite retailer or shop the label store directly at verez sarah band and that's v-a-r-e-s-e-s-a-r-a-b-a-n-d-e.com where Colors of the Dark listeners can save 20% off for a limited time with the code SCREAM20 at checkout. And welcome to Colors of the Dark on the Fangoria Podcast Network. I am your co-host, Rebecca McKendry, and with me now back in the States is Elric Kane. I'm glad to have you back. I know. It's weird being back, I must say. But I'm back, and I returned to another pandemic, a different one. You changed the variety. We mixed it up a little bit. Yeah, this this one's weird. It's like you can still go to Target, but you just assume that like 50% of the store is infected. And that my mask doesn't work, that I need a different type. But that said, you don't have to isolate yourself anymore, so who the hell knows? I don't know what's going on. I'm out of quarantine, but I will say uh, there's only one thing uh, that I will talk about from 2021. Otherwise, we've burned that year, just so you know, it's gone. Uh, But there's one thing I'll take from that. The only thing I'm taking from 2021 is the Becca uh, McKendry recommendation of yellow jackets. The the uh, the balls to put yellow jackets at number one when it's an incomplete show. Right? Uh, I was only on episode uh, five, and I thank you for referring to them as my balls. Yeah, they're balls. They're uh, whatever it is that is I, being used to I make have a choice. The tits. The yeah, tits. Whatever it is. The tits, you know, whatever you need. The vulva. I don't know what you're yeah, saying. I think it's meta- metaphorical balls. They're never real balls we're talking about. Real <laughs> balls are probably a hindrance of more than anything. <laughs> Um, but but no, I, I, because I wanted to see that show even before you first mentioned it. I it was on my radar. I was like, oh, I want to see that show, and then I left and didn't think about it much. And then you putting it that high, maybe go okay. The first thing I'm going to do <laughs> when I step foot in this country, and and honestly, it's like the best show of the year. Like like I don't weirdly enough, I don't even view this. This always gets us into uh, trouble, but I don't really view Midnight Mass as TV show. Like when I watch Midnight Mass, the way it's structured, it just feels like this movie that happens to be in chunks on netflix mm-hmm. right but but yellow jackets is a show and it's yeah. got the structure of a, like lost but it's so good the characters are so good the casting so i'm just here to add for anyone who wasn't already uh convinced by you and i've seen a lot of people have been uh i want to back that up and just say i am i caught up completely all seven episodes i think um Excellent. and i'm just and I'm just so interested, intrigued with where it'll go. And what I like, because I like Lost 2 when it came out, but this is so much more my bag, so much mm-hmm. more my air. It's my exact age group because they are all talking about like 96, 96. which is yep. my last year of high school. And mm-hmm. so, you know, so it just, it's, it really ticks a lot of those boxes and the way it then also cuts to like all of these people in their <laughs> middle age is just, it's just really great. And I love that the horror is still 
burning in the background, but you're not, you're curious more than anything. Yeah, this, and I am so glad that we've gotten a response from it on some of our socials. And I definitely, yeah, there was some flabbergastness of you, you put a fucking show on that's only been out for, you know, five episodes. Um, I saw some disgruntled folks on both Twitter and Facebook, but it has brought attention to the show. And that's what I wanted to do because yeah, yeah. the show floored me. It's one of the, this and evil, like I could define my year by. Those are the yeah. two things that I want to watch over and over. Vastly different. Yeah, I still um, need to watch more. I've only watched the first three of Evil Sentence because of Yellow Jackets. Yellow Jackets, Evil feels like I can watch it anytime. And you can will, binge it. I don't think yeah. I could binge Yellow Jackets. No, I, I watched a couple back to back, but it's it's thrilling and the characters, arcs and uh, characterization, they keep changing dramatically mm-hmm. episode to episode. And also, I, I'm pretty sure, I might be wrong on this, but it looks to me from the episodes I've, I paid attention that most of the directors were women who mm-hmm. had been like from Kasama to uh, there's somebody who... Uh, made a, a great in, a film in India once that I really loved. I just, I'm, I'm always, every episode I've been like, oh, having to research who somebody was and, um, just the quality is really strong. I can't remember where I was reading this, but I read somewhere that PJ Harvey was a producer on the show and I yeah. never looked it up or yeah. Liz Fair. It may have been like, Liz it Fair. was some, like somebody from that time period in the 90s yeah, yeah was like a producer on it and huh. then i was like i need to google that and i haven't yet so it might be um incorrect but i remember reading that somewhere that like that's how they were embracing it but yeah um, no so just just we don't need to like tell you guys any more than that but just trust us i know it might not be the i assume if you don't have showtime probably through amazon i believe you can mm-hmm. buy shows like this episode by episode it's a little more pricey to do it that way but it could be worth it in this case. Yeah. Because it's really, I, it's terrific. So. It made me keep, I at the end of every year, I always go through and do my like, I need to save money. I'm going to purge all the shit I joined this year. And then I go through and I'm like, why did I join the History Channel VOD channel? Why did oh, yeah. I join Boomerang? Because my kid wanted to watch one episode of Scooby-Doo and now I've been paying for it for eight months. Yeah, um, Amazon, I'm particularly bad at it because it's, it's like it's like it's free, but it's not yeah, free. It's not. And so I always yeah, yeah. go through and kind of like see why did I join this and, and purge them all. But Showtime, I was suddenly like, I have to keep that. Like I oh, have yeah. to keep it for that show. Yeah. Um, so I did. Yeah. So, so thank you for that. I am all in. So we'll be able to watch the final and talk about it when it happens. So. Yeah. Um. So we both watched Nightmare Alley. Yeah. So we. Yeah. Is we I will say horror horror adjacent. Like Elric and I, we had gone to see the nineteen um forty seven film in Nitrate. Which yeah. was seriously like I, I would watch, you know, somebody like making eggs in nitrate. It was just the most beautiful thing ever. Like literally like black and white 3D. And um, it's and it's also unique even amongst dark noir. It's particularly mm-hmm. dark as a film. It's just it's it has, you know, famously one of the darkest endings ever. Maybe mm-hmm. not the very end, but the end, you know, before the studio kind of tack on. But but it's just one of those movies that it really has an edge and and, and can be lumped into horror conversations. Also because any movie that has carnival settings, I feel the carnival's always been part of the horror world. Yep. Um and so it's really a tremendous movie. So when I heard their remake, Guillermo del Toro, obviously a great choice to adapt something like that. Uh, and the co-writer is Kim Morgan, who uh, I've had the pleasure of being doing a couple shows with her for Pure Cinema because she's one of the best, probably the best, I think, uh, film essay writer for online kind of criticism and stuff. Um, so they, they, you know, their approach, all I really knew was their approach was to adapt the book not the movie. Mm-hmm. And I had bought the book and I hadn't read it, but I always had heard the book had some stuff that was even darker. Um, and I, the one thing that I noticed about this one is the start, the very opening, uh, you know, gives you a very dark character background. 
you don't know what it is exactly, but you see the Bradley Cooper character emerge out of basically body disposal storyline, which is not something I remembered from the original. Um, the Tyrone Power character just seemed like, you know, initially you don't know much about him. Yeah, he just appeared. He was a yeah. like young drifter with a yeah. you know, weird backstory. And which makes sense one, to the war, you know, people yeah. who are getting lost after the war. And this one is still tackling that same time period. It's obviously set right before um, America joins the war. This one, I did not feel somehow, even though they directly mentioned the war in the Guillermo del Toro version, I did not feel it as much as I did in that original one. And I don't think the original ever mentioned. No, probably not. It's probably just the time period of noir. And I I, I do wish this is a beautiful looking movie. Obviously, Mm -hmm. it's del Toro, right? Uh, But there is a part of me, they are going to play a black and white version at the new Bev. And there is a part of me that goes, I think that might really work for it. Yeah. It might help some somehow. I f- sometimes I feel like big period pieces, modern period pieces, sometimes feel a little more mannered because of how beautiful they are and how the color and everything's so lush. You know, it's not lush; it's actually quite a dark, darkly filmed, col- desaturated colors. But there is a part of me watching it going in black and white. I'd be very curious to watch mm-hmm. this again that way. Um, but it has, you know, there's some stuff about it I really like. What I liked is the similar feeling I had about the new Dune, which is I understood the story really well mm-hmm. this time like i got okay i understand all these where they're coming i understand all the stuff uh one thing i think we both kind of over a couple of text exchanges said is but it's the, for me like to understand these characters why they do these some of these kind of extreme things sexuality was such a big part of the original the original like the, like none yeah. of this like when you see electric girl in the original it's the sexiest thing you could imagine this girl with this vault of electricity and he's watching that and wanting to be with her and this when she does it it's just she's doing the electrical show i don't feel his lust i don't feel yeah. that at any point and you it. were also in the original you always picked up that he was lusting after xena too but oops, yeah. she's married and that's not anywhere in this like there's no sexual connection between the two of them whatsoever aside yeah. from her kind of ogling him at the beginning but then it, it i mean this was like a cold shower film um sex wise yeah which which is surprising and i and i do think that's like for me if there's one and then one other factor like you know because there's a lot i really do like about this and i mm-hmm. I've, i was really in it but i agree that this and i started in house of gucci too which i also just saw which is actually a really fun movie and a really good story but both of them felt like at times especially in maybe the second half that they're clipping along and cutting parts out just to make it move where you're like actually you could have slowed this down at that point because it's getting exciting and it's getting intense and some of them it feels like these two and a half hour movies that suddenly feel too rushed, which sounds crazy, yeah. but they did feel a little rushed in that way once it, once it got to the darker part of the movie. This one, um, and that was my my biggest kind of issue with this, and I really enjoyed this. Like, I'm hoping it gets crazy Oscar noms. Is somehow it felt like it was twice as long as the original, but that it was missing some character points that I yeah. really wanted. Um, like in the original, you get the idea that um, Tyrone, oh shit, what's his last name? Um, Tyrone Power. Tyrone Power. Um, he's kind of like this manipulative asshole from the beginning who's being driven entirely by, you know, what he wants to have sex with at that time period. Um, and that's kind of his motivating factor throughout the entire movie. Bradley Cooper in this, he's kind of a nice guy. You get the idea that he's trying to manipulate people to get what he wants a little bit, but then a lot of things just kind of seem to be happening to him. Like he's not quite 
the manipulative asshole who deserves total comeuppance that we see in the and yet, but, but And yet he's almost doing worse things, though. I agree with yeah. you. It's like, and I think that might come back to the sex, which is it's I'm not seeing what he's desiring, mm-hmm. but we're seeing him like he's choosing to do things that could end people's life. Like he's choosing these things that in the original, I don't really remember as clearly, but, but maybe the motivation, the build up to it. He's good in this though. Like, yeah, he is. I think he's really good. Everyone's really good in it. I, I feel, again, I think there's a bit of a, the, the Kate Blanchett character. I know we're kind of skipping over a story, but kind of purposely, if you haven't seen either versions going blind, but Kate Blanchett who comes into the, in the last half of this film as, as a really kind of powerful character. But again, I don't, understand the attraction Mm -hmm. i don't see it on screen even though it's even though it's you know uh, plotted out at at times but uh whereas so i would i would recommend if you're interested in this movie to not see the original first yeah because i think if you do that yeah it it definitely probably made us more critical than we would Mm -hmm. have been because because you're just you can't help but they're so close in terms of the uh story structure but they do they follow the exact same plot even some of the same lines felt like really familiar so yeah i recommend just going straight into the del toro circle back to the original after the fact yeah but there's some really cool there are some really cool dark uh like even some the one thing i did appreciate a lot was this is gorier mm-hmm. this this has some moments of violence where he really goes all the way and i i really found that refreshing because it's not something i think about in the original i also liked that this one got a little bit more into the carny aspect mm-hmm. which in the original it's there but it's literally like plot points this one like there's an entire sidebar about pickled punks um which are like babies in jars and it was it was a lot more kind of carny building of the world and the life and and how they're traveling and you know how they get from one place to another how they hire people um there was a lot more of that in this which i found nice and I, the the biggest takeaway for me was just um never keep your soda next to your poison that looks like soda never do and that that's kind of the thing that's that's <laughs> so. the through line for everyone to take away. <laughs> no, and this is also one that i don't i mean i kind of returned when it was already out I'm not hearing people talk about it, which is to me a little crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, Guillermo del Toro, big noir adaptation. I don't think know? it did a very good weekend yeah. because this was like right as Omicron was bursting and we were being told like, don't go out and sit with people you don't know because they all have it. And yeah. And it's an incredibly grim movie, which I always appreciate with noirs. And he, and he didn't, he definitely didn't cheery this up. In fact, he's mm-hmm. gone back to the original ending without the studio note, which I really appreciate. Yeah. But in the same token, it's like maybe this will, play great you know five years from now and people will come to this movie but maybe right now that might not be an experience that everyone wants to go risk you know i also have to say two and a half hours man that's a commitment it's the reason i did not go see house of gucci in the theater like i went and saw enchanto that night because i was like oh this isn't gonna be a thing and um yeah yeah, gucci i watched on screener yeah as a screener and it's but it is really fun i gotta say it's it's a it's i think it's a good crime story too it's 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 very interesting that yeah I have a screener of it here I'm gonna have to check out but two and a half hours it's a commitment no look that's my biggest my biggest issue with movies at the moment is just like especially the Netflix model where it just feels like they don't need it, it's different when your story needs to be that you don't feel the two and a half hours some movies need to be that long but there's a lot of movies that it just feels like you know a, a great example for people is another newish movie that's really dark too which is Power of the Dog it's not gonna be for everyone I really like it but. It, it, it ends where you feel like there could have been probably 30 more minutes, but it says, nope, this is the ending. And it almost rattles you because you're getting so used to these movies with an extra 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was actually very effective in that way and kind of uh, almost shocking. Um, that one's on Netflix, too, and is a very dark story. Uh, but yeah. 
Okay, well, I'm going to dive in um, with a couple of quick graphic novels that I read over the holiday because I read a lot of graphic novels over the holiday. Um, I read a bunch from uh, Dark Horse. So House of Penance was really cool. That one's kind of a westerny haunted house that gets really cerebral. Um, Tremor Dose, I absolutely love. This is another one from Dark Horse. Um, this one is by Michael Conrad. Such a cool concept. I'm surprised this has not been picked up for a movie yet. So maybe this will encourage some filmmaker out there to seek it out and and get the option rolling on it. Um, it's a college student who is having the her name um, Jin is their name, and uh, they're having these really weird dreams. Um, and this guy keeps appearing in them. And at first the guy is really helpful and then he's just kind of there helping. And sometimes he's just watching. And then some of them are really dark and sinister and they don't know what's going on. And so one day on campus, they see this sign that says, have you dreamed of this man? And it's the dude Hmm. that they've been dreaming about. And so They end up enrolling in this campus-wide study with this group of other people who are having dreams about this same guy. And it's really much of the the graphic novel functions on dream logic. So it's really disjointed. Um, It plays a lot with kind of image of yourself and how you exist in your real life versus how you see yourself in your dream and waking up and trying to psychoanalyze like what dreams say about you versus like what was just some weird shit where you're like, you know, meandering through your elementary school naked with lobsters around you. Does it have meaning in my life or is it just fucked up weird shit? Um, and this one was just this really cool mix of like wild dream imagery and, and this really kind of really clever horror story. So I'm hoping somebody picks this up by the way, the artwork on this one, fucking awesome. Loved it. Some of the description reminded me of come true as you were describing that. It has moments of it, but honestly, I liked where this went. Like I thought this had a cleverness to it where come true. It definitely has those, those moments, but come true takes this really sharp turn in the final act. Um, this, and I mean, I only read the first book. I think there is actually, um, I think it actually keeps going after I finished, but I, I loved how this just doubled down on like man and dream. Like it was, it was like a Freddy Krueger character, but what if Freddy was nice and why the hell are we all dreaming about him? And it's, it's just a cool setup. So I will also give, um, some very fun love. I, I rather enjoyed this one to bloody Chester. And this is one that was recommended to me by one of our listeners on Twitter. This is by JT Petty, who most of us know because he did The Burrowers and Hellbenders. So he's a director. He also has written a ton of video games, um, but did this graphic novel called Bloody Chester. It is total Western, feels right in line with like The Burrowers Jam, um, about this teen named Chester Cates who gets in a lot of fights in this town. He doesn't have a lot of family and he gets in all these fights with the townsfolk, which is why they start calling him Bloody Chester. Um, He's like about to be arrested and kicked out of town. And so the sheriff says, I'm going to pay you a lot of money if you go one town over and burn the town to the ground. There's been a plague and no one's living there anymore except for a couple of people. I just want you to go over and just burn the town to the ground because they've had this plague. And he goes and then he gets there and what he finds is plague, but it's weird. And there's a few people still hanging around and it goes from there. Um, and it's very kind of gruesome, wild Westy. So I really like mm. that one as well. That was Bloody Chester. And the first one that I mentioned, um, House of Penance was the first one I mentioned. That's the Western Haunted House. And then Tremor Dose was the one with the weird dreams. 
Okay. That, I like always like some Western horror too. Mm-hmm. Um, the only indie, so the only other, the only new horror film I've seen um, this year in the new year uh, was a really edgy one, really bold swing that I had not even heard of last year when we were doing our 21 movies. I don't know if it was out yet. Maybe it was. Uh, anyway, I only knew about it because the star of it, and she's also the director, Dasha Nekrosova, is a one of the smaller roles, but in succession, which um, is just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I watched this movie called The Scary of 61st. And I knew nothing about it, so it was kind of cool to go and blind to this. It feels like it's made on like 16 millimeter aesthetic. It's two girls uh, are looking in New York. They're you know early 20s. It basically feels like an episode of Girls that goes way off the rails, fucked up, because um, the, even the t- conversations sound like the mo- the show Girls. So the two girls they get this apartment uh, in, they, in up you know, kind of um, in the whatever the fancy part of New York would be kind of it reminded me even the fonts reminded me of Rosemary's Baby so I'm assuming it's that area and the guys giving them the apartment they're getting a deal all the stuff still in it they're kind of a little skeptical about why they're getting such a good deal mm-hmm. the, the one room has this weird mirror on the wall that the girl's a little skeeved out by but they don't understand Anyway, so they have one night there and the one girl has this terrible nightmare that night, almost like a night terror where she's being controlled. Uh, and then the next day they see this girl comes into their apartment while one of them's gone. And she's a conspiracy theorist who is basically working on a story where she believes this apartment. I mean, this is how topical. And now this is she believes this apartment is one of Jeffrey Epstein's holding cells for young girls and it, how it has recent the, is this yeah this i mean it's like from this year new. but so it's really interesting because it's such a bold swing and it makes you almost uncomfortable because it's so modern in some of the things it's about and it's and she believes that like all this terrible stuff and that's connection to satanism and so she's she's trying to give all these crazy conspiracy theories and the other girl in this apartment just gets totally they basically fall into a relationship the two of them and they're obsessed by this and they start to ignore the other roommate who is off on her own storyline, basically becoming possessed by an underage girl who was abused by Epstein. They don't ever say that out loud, but it's like what you're watching. And she's like out of her, losing her mind basically and doing all this crazy stuff. So it's really sexual. It's really out there. It's definitely one of those movies that's not for everyone. It's very indie. It almost felt like a film they put together in the pandemic, but it's also so aggressive and in your face with how it pulls it off that you can't help but kind of be really kind of captivated by it and also impressed that it kind of just went for it. Um, I wouldn't say more than that, but it, it's a real horror film. Like it, it builds towards some pretty intense stuff and all the performances are interesting. I, you know, it depends if you can, if you like indie kind of style, I think it, I'd pick it if you don't maybe avoid it. But anyway, it wasn't like anything I really saw last year. So as my first indie of the year, it was an interesting one to watch and cool that the director is also one of the stars of it. So, um, that is scary of 61st. And it was just very topical because, you know, um, Giselle Maxwell's case had just been, she had just been found guilty in the press and she even appears in the film, like a version of her. They call her Maxine or something. And you see a woman look back at them. So it was, it was kind of eerie timing. That's um, that's like one of those that I feel like a producer would go no too soon. Like yeah, we need ten is, years before we can reflect on that. But because this is like being made clearly in indie style, I, I think they're just leaning into to what it was. And so yeah, very interesting and very. It's definitely poking at things. It's definitely not uh, a film that uh, isn't interested in being provocative, which hmm. I, it's refreshing. So that's the scare sixty first. Well, I'm going to quickly talk about Nosferatu in Venice. Oh no! Because I watched 
Severin did this beautiful uh, Blu-ray release. And so I was like, well, if Severin's done a Blu-ray release, I'm going to watch Nosferatu in Venice. Um, and this was a very fascinating film. This is Klaus Kinski, Christopher Plummer, Donald Pleasance, and Barbara De Rossi. So really tight cast. Um, this had two directors, maybe three, possibly four. So we're going to call it a troubled production. Hmm. Klaus Kinski is even listed as one of the directors. Um, oh, then, is, then you definitely have a problem. Then as you know that there's something yeah. weird going on. So it's Augusto Caminito was the director on record. There was apparently a director before him who did not take credit. Klaus Kinski ended up doing like dictating a bunch of shit, demanded that he also be there. And I also read a couple of websites that said that the second unit director, Luigi Cosi, Cosi okay. um, also ended up directing most of it. So it's um, like the terror or something. It's like the terror. Yeah, this yeah. was um, very much a troubled production from everything that I find. Um, this was this was not deep knowledge. This was on I probably Wikipedia or IMDb, but Luigi Cozy said that Kinski's behavior was so bad on set, there were times that the entire crew left and wouldn't come back until Kinski apologized. Wow. Um, that he was just bonkers on set. The story, it's Nosferatu, but it's actually an interesting take on Nosferatu, which is why I wanted to mention it on the show. It's not just, hey, I'm a vampire and I'm picking off people. And this, he has been stranded on an island and he is being kept alive because these people are seeking him out to give them immortality. Hmm. So it's become this kind of ritual where um, when you turn like 18 or something, you go see the local vampire and he makes you immortal. And then these people in this particular island are living forever because of him. So they're kind of viewing him almost like a god. But uh, these people do a seance. They are descendants of his and they do a seance at his old family home back in Venice. And they're like, oh, come to us, come to us, Nosferatu. And then it calls him back home. And so then, boom, he's back in Venice. But here's the thing. He doesn't want to, like, kill people. He wants to fall in love again. So he falls in love with one of the, the descendants who is like his beloved wife reincarnated. Um, and then he decides, and this is where it gets weird. He doesn't want to be alive anymore. He's like, I'm sick of immortality. I just seek death. And, um, and that's like a Kinski character. It is. It is. It's, um, I will say most of this movie was really uncomfortable to watch because it still is highly sexual and he still ends up killing people, but it's 62 year old Klaus Kinski, who may as well be like 95 yeah. groping really young women. And it was like, a little and I, I could care less about age gap, but he was just there was something so kind of sinister and uncomfortable about watching some of these scenes hmm. um, that I had problems getting through some of them. Um, but that said, I, I kind of liked the take on Nosferatu and I liked what they had planned. I would have liked to have seen what it originally was supposed to be before it got so tinkered. Um, it also it moves slow. Like you can feel scenes where like Klosky was like, I'm going to sit here and just stare and snarl at the camera for 10 minutes um, because there were scenes where it moved very slow slow. But during those time, I took time to research Venice um, because I got really fascinated with the city of Venice. So um, both, yeah, geographically uh, fun to research. And uh, there you go. Did you I'm know a the huge, book? huge Venice fan. Never I've been. been. I've been. It's one of the places I've been a couple times. And also 
like I got lost there once and just turned a corner and walked around and was suddenly at the world premiere of being John Malkovich at the Venice Film Festival <gasps> and an uh, outdoor like amphitheater. Like I'm just a 21 year old going, oh, I lucked into that. So no, it's it's a great place to get lost. And don't look now. Lots of great movies. It's built on a series of islands, which are all slowly sinking. Yep. The Bellini was invented there. And um, yeah, I spent a long time researching Venice. And Sometimes I, and smells because of the, yeah. Really? Because of the, the pollution s- in the water. It's difficult to get rid of their waste. Oh, you know, and, I and reasons that. like, but it's also the most most haunting and kind of beautiful, strange. Like um, it's one of those cities where it really is—you could take two wrong turns and you're just totally lost. I know? was reading how because life is so difficult there, and it's difficult to get around, and there's no cars, that most people have moved back to the mainland, yeah, and that yes. um, it is now rumored to be a ghost town by like 2040. That like people Bummer. will no longer be living there because it has become so difficult. But so in other words, we're saying just, go to Venice. Go to Venice. I want to see save, it. Save your money on Nosferatu in Venice and go to Venice. No, you should watch Nosferatu in Venice as well. It was amazing. Uh, and for those who don't realize, even though most of our listeners will, uh, Kinski played Nosferatu. Thus, thus it, it sounds almost like a bizarro sequel. Uh, and they're both pretty slow. The the Herzog version of Nosferatu starring Kinski is pretty slow too. It is. Um, he's a good, little bit a- more electric on screen in that one. Yeah, in yeah, no, he's great. One, in that, yeah. He's more like chewing the scenery in a really angry sexual way. Hmm. Um, so okay. yeah, like he's right. angry sexual in this movie. Um, right. And then, did you have another one? Because if not, no, I'm, to- uh, no, I'm right. okay. Really quick before we, I have to talk about Hunt a Killer. Because this was my Christmas present, and I was, like, totally Uh skeptical. Um, So, murder mysteries. You know how Uh I love my murder mysteries? This is not an ad. This is, like, something that I I generally am having fun with. Every month, you get a new box, and you are trying to solve this very elaborate murder mystery. Um, So, I got my first box. Uh And you have to send the answer to the question. So, my question for the first box was, like, where did the murder take place? And you have to go through everything to figure it out and you're solving clues and there's all these different parts. And it took me about two and a half hours to figure it out. And then you're still kind of guessing, um, but then you email and then they send you the next box and you're trying to figure out this massive, massive murder mystery. It was so much fucking fun. It was the most fun. And it was just me like reading, you know, things about tide movements and things like that. But it was a blast. I tweeted about it and then somebody responded back that they have a horror version entirely Blair Witch themed that is amazing. Hmm. Um, So I have just ordered the Blair Witch version. I'm excited. I'm still in the middle of my murder mystery about who killed Beth. Um, But that said, this if you like murder mysteries or you're into kind of these mystery solving things, this has been so fun because it is really just, you know, you get to do the work and it's a blast. Well, I mean... Huntakiller.com. I mean, speaking of m- classic murder mysteries. Classic murders, right? Influential here murder mysteries. Yeah. Yeah. So with the new Scream film coming up, we decided that we wanted to do an episode that not only focused on the legacy of Scream, but also really discussed um, the aftermath of Scream with all of the neo slashers that we saw in the 1990s. Um, so we're going to dive into that after a quick word from our sponsor. Thank you. 
Just a reminder that tonight's episode is sponsored by Verez Saraband and the Scream Original Motion Picture Soundtracks box set. As the latest installment of Scream lands in theaters, revisit the masterful scores from the horror franchise's first four films with the Scream Original Motion Picture Soundtracks box set. Available on four LPs or six CDs, each collection is housed in a unique jacket which folds out into a giant ghost face mask. Speaking of the new film, the brand new score can also be ordered today on vinyl in a reflective mirror board jacket or on CD or digital format. Own the musical legacy of Scream. Visit your favorite retailer or shop the label store directly at VerezSaraBand.com, where Colors of the Dark listeners can now save 20% for a limited time with this code SCREAM20. That is code SCREAM20. 20 to get 20% off your order at checkout on VerezSaraban.com. I just wrote that code down. <laughs> Screen 20. <laughs> A true fan. Yes. Well, it is an honor to welcome to the show Michael Kennedy. Michael has been on other incarnations of podcasts that Elric and I have done before, but this is your first time on <laughs> Colors of the Dark, and we are thrilled to have you with us tonight. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Michael. You guys are hilarious. Oh, he, he worked <laughs> on American Dad. You were on Family Guy for a long time. You wrote Freaky, and you have a new film coming out, Time Cut, correct? Yeah, sometime this year. We're not sure when it's coming out yet, but uh, it's in post right now. So that is absolutely should hear more soon. Yeah. But the reason that we wanted to bring you on tonight, aside from being completely awesome, we wanted to talk about the legacy of Scream. And I can only describe you as like a Scream super fan, which I learned at trivia. There was one night that we did like a Scream round and I literally saw your team hand you the slip. (laughs) Did you really? (laughs) Like, I think it was Chelsea was like, just handed you the slip and was like, take it, Michael. Wait, am I wrong? um, Wasn't there a round on Scream where Kevin Williamson was playing? Is that the time? Yes. I believe I I remember looking around the room going, what the fuck? So that is the fun of trivia um, is we never know who the hell is going to show mm-hmm. up. And there are nights when I'm like asking like questions and all of a sudden I'm like the fucking filmmakers in the room. Yeah. And that was one of <laughs> them was we did a so... scream round and Kevin Williamson was fucking there. <laughs> yeah. And the best is I was on his team. Oh, that's it. Several questions. That he didn't know the answer to. <laughs> always the case. It's always the case with the creators, right? Honestly, you know what? There's times when people ask me questions about Freaky or they're like, was this homage? And I'm like, I don't even know what that movie is that you're talking about. Yeah. You know, someone once brought up a sitcom homage in Freaky. And I'm like, what the fuck even is that show you're asking me about? But I'm always just like, yep, mm-hmm, that was an homage. <laughs> like, Some professor... Yeah, is some, in like 10 years, some professor is going to write a book about how you were entirely influenced by like Moby Dick and there's just references <laughs> throughout and it's going to become law. And yeah, then she's going to make so. her grad students read it and buy the book. And that's how I, academia I, I, works. <laughs> I really hope so. But yeah, Kevin was there. That was so funny. I forgot about that. So let me back it up to um, why Scream? Why is this your franchise? Like, what is it about the first viewing that you had of Scream that kind of made you fall in love with it? Oh my God, there's like so many weird, not weird, but like just so many like roots. This movie's such a root in so many ways. But 
Well, first of all, it was the first scary movie I sat all the way through in my entire life. Really? Oh. Yeah. I'm oh a bloomer as far as the horror community out here in LA, especially, is concerned. I didn't start watching scary movies until Scream came out. I was 16. Um, but I grew up in an Irish Catholic conservative family, so I wasn't allowed to watch that kind of stuff. I wasn't allowed to watch rated R movies as a kid. And there was even some TV shows we weren't allowed to watch in our household. Which sounds a little bit like a certain director of the movie. Yeah. (laughs) With with Craven's Calvinist background, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And he's also from Cleveland, too. Oh, Oh, yeah. Um, You're Ohio, right? I'm an Ohio boy. Yeah. Mr. Craven was. Um, So, and then there's like two little things I remember from being a kid is I was at a birthday party in like first or second grade. And I remember it was during the middle of the day. It was a summer pool party. And this kid was allowed to watch whatever he wants. So his dad actually put on a nightmare on Elm street. Like in there, they had like an enclosed patio in the back. And I remember there was a TV in and he had it playing on there. And I like, anytime I wanted to go in and get anything, I like would freak out. Um, Cause like the bathroom was past it or like the snacks were next to it and stuff. And I was like, what is this? Um, and then my really big memory of scary movies as a kid is my brother was watching Halloween when I was like eight mm-hmm. and it was like back in the day remember back in the day on like Saturday afternoon you'd find like the best horror movie gem just playing on local just, television it's how I saw so much stuff it's how I've watched yeah. like as much kung fu as I have as well because they yeah. used to do the kung fu hours so. kung fu and a lot of sci-fi yep. and it was the best right and I, I the only thing I can think of today that even comes close to that is shutters mm-hmm. live feed um but the difference but, is you so, have to you have to have bought Shutter in the first place, right? Like the cool thing yeah, about normal yeah. TV was you might not even be into horror or kung fu, and there it is yeah. popping up out of the ether and you know, changing your yeah. life forever. And That's I remember it. the channel he was watching it on and everything. That is an you interesting know? point. I don't want to sidetrack from this, but think of the movies that you watched as a kid just because you were like scrolling through and then it just became like, what the fuck is this? That is no, literally how I saw Freeway 2 was just scrolling through and oh going, God. what the hell is this? There's none. And it's, yeah. Um, yeah just how many, think how many movies like that that you came in midway through, mm-hmm. but you yeah. finished it and then you're like had to find a copy to like watch the whole movie again. I still have like hot flashes of movies that I know I watched parts of. Like I saw like 20 minutes of it on Comedy Central and I still have no idea what it is, but I remember the horse scene. That horse scene is still there. Hot to trot. Hot to trot. Final answer. (laughs) So good. I miss those days. I miss that quality of like just kind of happily stumbling on entertainment. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, he was watching that. I think I lasted 10 minutes before I had to like leave the room. So I was scared of it as a kid. I mean, I remember even seeing Freddy in commercials. And oh, yeah. Like, oh, my God, I can't, I can't watch this. I got to get out of this room. So I, Scream was the first horror movie I saw in movie theaters. Scream was the first horror movie I saw in total. Like, it was also during a period of my life where I like, knew I was figuring out my queerness and my gayness, but I didn't quite know what it was, but knew there was something different inside of me. And, mm-hmm. like, so, like, that weirdly the movie really resonated with me in that way but my high school friends tricked me into seeing the movie because i'm stupid and they told me it was a rom-com and i believed them even with the poster and everything (laughs) wow but like five minutes into the movie i was like these assholes tricked me (laughs) and i was terrified but for the first time in my life i um noticed that i was like enjoying the feeling yeah 
So like it was, it's just, it's just like one of those memories where like just so many things bubble up when I think about it. And the movie's brilliant. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so lucky in a way that like that was the first scary movie I saw because I saw brilliance. And like the thing I love about that movie too, looking back on it is I've never really seen Michael or Jason or Freddy or all the movies they're talking about in the movies, but it was such a moment because by then everyone knew who all those people were without having to see any of it. So yeah. like, I don't know. I felt like I was part of the crowd. I felt like I was in on all the jokes and stuff. Um, and I actually walked out of that movie and I turned to one of my friends and said, I'm going to make one of those someday. Oh, wow. Wow. So, yeah. So like, it was like a moment. It was like, I hated English class. I hated short story writing. I hated all of that. But I started doing that stuff on my own in my free time, like literally soon after the, I left the theater. I remember going home and had like a three ring binder and was writing a movie called Scared <laughs> in pen and like doing all the things with it, you know? So like, it really just... From I was obsessed with it. I couldn't wait for Scream 2. And then the best part about it, right, is I spent the whole next year before Scream 2 came out getting anything I could get my hands on. Oh, wow. So it literally was like an overnight yeah. conversion. Where It really was, like total chemical change in my body. So, and what I did is I'm really glad I did it this way too, is I went chrono- like chron- chronologically. Mm-hmm. It's like first thing I rented was Halloween. And then Friday the 13th. And then, like, did through all those. And then, like, I was watching Black Christmas over Christmas. Mm -hmm. And I, like, had a flash of the first time I saw that. So, like, I don't know. Like, it's just a – it's, like, such a lifestyle for me. And it, like, changed so many things about my life. You know what I mean? So I really credit that movie for, like, my love, my hobby, my first joy, like, a thing that's comfort, um, a thing that I found relationships and friendships with and community. Yeah. And then, like, finding out that Kevin Williamson is was an openly a gay person at 16 and being like, oh, my God, gay people can do this. They can, like, be out in L.A. and, like, have a life and, like, make really cool movies. Like, that was a big, like, root moment for me, too. That's when I really started started navigating that part of me. Um, so that was a really long answer to your question. <laughs> That's okay. I think that one of the most beautiful things that I'm going to take away from that is that For me, I always look at Scream as this self-referential thing. Like you have to understand the entire decade and a half that has come before it to get it. And you are a clear example that, no, it's just a damn good movie. And you don't have to be in on the rules that they're violating to get the means to the end. Yeah. And actually that movie taught me the rules. That's so, like, as I went back and like started watching everything, I was like, oh, wow, he really was right. Like these rules are really really solidified here but it was just so like it's like you know it's like a drug it's like there'll never be that feeling again but it's like i've been chasing it for 25 years that's how i talk about horror (laughs) when people are like why do you love it so much and i'm like because i don't do heroin um yeah i mean this is what i got so it's like the safest drug you (laughs) you know like um and like honestly i don't think i'd have a career if it wasn't for that movie Mm mm-hmm yeah, I mean, I it has to come from somewhere, right? People's passion yeah. for film has to come from films at some exactly. point. Uh, I imagine also, like, if you're talking about the rules, uh, if you're early to horror, I imagine that opening sequence must have been all the more shocking. Because even I was, I'm a, I was yes. a seasoned horror fan, and I didn't expect that, even oh. though I knew Psycho, right? It, it, because yeah. it was Drew Barrymore, so I assumed yeah. something else. No clue. Yeah. No clue. Like, 
what was the first time you saw it, Elric? What was no, the, well? I, I think I think we're all we're all very close in age. I think we might be mm-hmm. two years um, older. So I think that's eighteen. Mm-hmm. I think it was my first month or two at college. Mine was, um, yeah. And I remember get going with a lot of people, and and it was coming at a period where I was kind of falling a little out of love with the horror I was watching. Candyman <laughs> made a big impression on me at like fourteen. I think I saw that in theaters or yeah. something, and that really that was like your experience. That was probably my first in theater horror film in the same way you were talking and that that really super cool yeah that that gave me all the all those same what sensations luck. i know right like you to know what I mean? yeah, to, to get find these movies when we did and to be allowed to go by yourself <laughs> yeah. without parents yeah. and see these things but with scream <laughs> i started with the group and it and it did it, it blew me away and when you're talking about scream 2 i can't think of a movie I'm, I'm less a big sequels like i haven't seen the sequels as much as scream 2 i've seen maybe more but the anticipation for mm-hmm. that was probably the highest I've had for any sequel ever. Just the anticipation uh, at leading up to it, like, oh my god, we're getting more of that feeling. Yeah, which was interesting. Yeah, yeah. and just like for me, it was the Scream Two is also like the first time I really felt like horror was like a monster, mm. monster success. Like it was like movies were moving off that weekend to avoid opening up against it. You know, yeah. like which was cool. I remember by the time Scream 2 came out, it was like an event. Like I remember <laughs> the first one, I saw it on campus. Is that my baby dog? I love your dog. It is my Baba Scuba. <laughs> <laughs> I like stalk her on Instagram. Um, today, is her got- today is her gotcha day, by the way. What is her gotcha day? Gotcha day means we got we brought her home two years ago today. Oh, nice. Aww. We call it her gotcha day. Yeah. That's so sweet. Yeah. Well, I hope you I gave love her, her so a, a, a sweet cookie or something. She's um, having a little bit of, we're having a little bit of a party for her after this. Oh. <laughs> and in, Not kidding. In the slasher film, the gotcha day is a different thing, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> it is not what we want for her, so. But um, I remember seeing the first one at campus, like literally, I think I'd been on campus at college for like a month um, seeing it. And I went on, a, I remember my date specifically because it was like my first date at college um, oh, no with kidding. this guy from the hockey team who had red oh. hair. And that's all I remember. But we went to see it on campus um, in like the big student center. And it was like this packed event and everybody cheering and hollering. And it was just this massive, beautiful experience of seeing it with literally like a thousand other people. It was our massive like student so arena. Cool. and it was just great and then um i remember for the second one it was one of those where i was like anticipating it and getting all my friends together and like okay we're all going as a group up uh-huh. and um that guy was not into horror and i think we dated like twice um but yeah so- <laughs> wait 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 serious question are two redheads allowed to date <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's some etiquette in the year. I don't think I've ever seen two redheads <laughs> together <laughs> in my life. The only redhead I ever dated in my entire life. So, somewhere in Ireland, our listeners are outraged at me. They're like, no, 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 it's normal. <laughs> if you put two in the same room, like it conjures a demon or something. Yeah, yeah. That's what happens. It's <laughs> a movie right there. Yeah, yeah, the two redheads. When, I remember when uh, Scream 2 came out, We, I was a senior in high school and we uh, there was like 20 of us that went and we actually all pulled our money and like one of our friends with a car went at lunch to go buy the tickets for us oh, wow. because we were afraid we would get to the theater too late and the showing would be sold out so i remember like that's how like like thinking that's a, like a fun memory to me too because it's like that's how we used to have to go and get tickets or yeah. you literally had to wait in line or like go during a lunch break she went during her lunch break in high school, which is like so funny to me. 
I remember doing uh, that for Star Wars Jar Jar Banks when it came out, where I was like camped out days beforehand for that. So yeah. <laughs> oh, that's how it went down, y'all. And concert tickets doing the same thing. Lollapalooza, I'm like outside Macy's with a tent. Um <laughs> Well, that's why I mean that's why it's exciting to see that same fervor bubble up again you know right now for for a movie a franchise this old do you think i mean going back to the first one obviously it's everything especially with west it's all the elements but do you think for you it's a big part of that is the characters because one thing when we we're going to be talking about more slasher films later but when Mm -hmm. i go through old slasher films and i think about them i usually know it's not the characters that i come back to for that movie for the most part scream was very different in that way yeah i thought yeah I mean, it is. And the thing that I was actually talking to somebody about this the other day was like, the beauty of the movie too, is that there's not a bad character in the bunch. It's mm-hmm. like, you genuinely have a good time with every single person that's on screen in front of you, even down to like the ancillary characters, like the dudes that are getting yelled at by fucking Fonzie. Yeah. Like you kind of get an idea of who, who these kids are in like 20 seconds. And then you see them later at the party and you're kind of like, what's their deal? You know? And like every character, the, the the beauty of Scream 2 is like, it's one of those movies where the writing is so tight. Every freaking moment counts and every character matters. Like there's no, there's, there's a reason for everything to happen, a reason for every character to exist. Like, you know, looking, it was my first experience. So like, it, <laughs> I didn't know the differences at the time, but like, there's no just character created just to die. Yeah. There's no random shitty people just to die. Mm-hmm. Like that's the beauty of the franchise. And I think that's why it's endured for so long and why it's the franchise it is, is like, it's the one of the rare slasher franchises that you actually go to see Sidney Gale and Dewey. Yes. You're not going to see Ghostface, Right. And that's it's why I true. get, I want to like, like rip my hair out whenever I hear anybody say something to the effect is like, they should kill Sid. That would be shocking. It's like, we're there for her too. We're survive. there. Yeah. Like, I hope she survives for, for 50 movies. Yeah. And that I don't is, want her to die. you're right. That is something that is totally true to just this franchise. Cause nightmare on Elm street. I mean, we got a whole new group of kids every time Friday, the 13th, whole new group of kids. Yeah. Halloween. I mean, we may have Lori Strode appear in a couple of them, but it was still kind of like, you know, this whole new group of characters, yeah, in and out the entire time. Um, Child's yeah. Play, same thing. It was, you know, most of them function in that capacity. But this, it's all the characters and then Dude with Knife. Yeah, and like, you know, you think about it as like, how many franchises can have a fan base that's like pissed a character in the third movie dies, like Parker Posey. People are like mad Parker Posey died in that one. Or like people 10 years later are still pissed Hayden Panettiere might be dead. You know what I mean? Like, there's, there's still the like. I hope Kirby's in Scream Five, and I'm just like, in my POV, I'm like, guys, <laughs> let her go, like, let her like, go. Yeah, time to move on. Like this movie, like you're lucky they brought Judy back. Yeah, so- I, I love that though. I'm just like, this movie is really to me. It's the Scream Five has like, there's a feeling behind it that you can't explain that hasn't been present for the franchise since Scream mm-hmm. 2. And, I, and that's in the marketing and like just the, I feel like there's a fervor with it. And God, I hope it does well. God, um, going to Scream you know. 2, I loved Scream 2 so much when it came it's out. So like, because so it was about like the making of the movie. I remember just yes. loving it. And then now when I hear my students be like, Scream 2 sucks. Um, like my, most of my students, like Scream was their nightmare on Elm Street. Like it came out when they were oh, like, cool. super young, 
you know, uh-huh. when a babysitter let him watch it at like age five and it fucked him up for life. But they're <laughs> all like, yeah, Scream 2. And they feel that way about three and four as well. Um, but man, Scream 2, I, I have to put on the same level as the first one in my oh, brain. it's my favorite one in the entire franchise. Oh, yeah. interesting. So what it, tell, yeah, tell I mean, me about that. I haven't seen two for a while, but what is it that, you know, what is it that kind of cling to that? Is it the character shifts or the growth of the world? It's all that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's exactly what it is for me is it's, I mean, scream is a masterpiece. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. Like scream is a masterpiece. It's probably, it's probably the greatest slasher movie ever made to me. Where Scream Two is my favorite slasher movie yeah. ever made, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And without differently, <laughs> we have lots of yeah, those. <laughs> like, yeah, like I think it's. I think what it is is it's. It, it it exists for a reason. It doesn't feel like it's just another movie. It feels like a, a complete. It, it's the continuation of the first film. Like it truly feels like a spiritual, actual sibling in every way to the previous movie. It, and, and it is the character growth. I think our trio especially is at their height in the entire mm. series thus far in that film, as far as character growth, character development, their agency. Like, I think it's really cool to watch Sid really kind of wallow in grief in the first movie. And then she kind of has a toughness to her at the end of Scream 1. But there is a lot of if this didn't happen, this didn't happen, this didn't happen, she wouldn't have the showdown at the end of Scream where that Courtney Cox essentially like saves her life for a second time, yeah. you know? Whereas in Scream 2, she kind of starts almost in the same spot at the beginning of Scream 1 where she's like, what the hell is going on? But quickly is like, fuck this, you know? Mm-hmm. And by the end of the movie, she walks into the final set piece and sure she's not expecting it but once she realizes what's going on the first movie she runs around for 20 minutes trying to get away from ghostface yeah and this movie she's just like is like fuck you mickey like you know like my favorite line in the entire franchise is like you're forgetting one thing about billy loomis and he's like what that what's that and she like leans in the camera and she's like i fucking killed him Mm -hmm. and like that to me it's like that is sydney like that is the moment sydney prescott fully became sydney prescott and Gail's the same way. It's like any other franchise, honestly, I think would have taken a character like Gail and made her Sydney's best friend in the second movie and would have made her softer and a little bit more quote unquote, which I hate when execs say this, but likable. Oh God. Most franchises don't have continuity, right? And so creative. (laughs) So this one, we have a creative team that we're there's a team in every way and you know what's really impressive about that is if we think scream came out in 96 they probably were not planning on a sequel upon its release like i don't think weinstein was like go ahead and start on screen two just in case so we have to assume that the first one came out they saw the success and then they were like okay let's get another one going and somehow they were able to get it out next year and usually it was like 350 days later yeah that is insane amount of time that's insane usually when you're trying to spend something out really quickly like that it definitely depreciates kind of the quality of it it doesn't increase it Um, well i know kevin had um when he sold the first movie he had outlines for two and three so he had three movies in his head but they never greenlit two Mm -hmm. You know, like, I think when it opened, they were like, well, there goes that. I mean, it made $6 million its opening weekend. But by, like, 
I think like February, they're like, huh, we need to do, we need to do a second movie. So like, in a way he had his nugget, but he still had to like turn that nugget into like a full being yeah. in like eight months total. You know what I mean? Like insanity. Yeah. Um, but also with Scream 2, it's just like, so like I was saying about Gail is like, they took what I think a lesser franchise would have done is either A, not have her in the movie or B, she would have been like, now she needs to be buddy-buddy with Sydney, where she was actually worse in Scream 2 than she is in the first one. She's more ruthless. She's more cunning. She mm-hmm. got the fame she was craving. So that little softer edges you saw of her at the end of the first movie, she fucking spit on them and then stomped them on her foot with her foot and was just like, you know, so ruthless. But that's what makes her turn at the end of Scream 2 even more satisfying is she finally does have the moment a lesser movie would have done from the first time she's on screen mm-hmm. at the end of the movie where she finally feels empathy and sympathy and literally uses the words, I feel bad. Mm. And is like determined to figure this out herself. She goes from wanting to write another book to essentially wanting to save the day, which is just like, you know, so like that's why I get really excited when I see photos for the new movie. And every time they show a photo of Sydney, she's usually with Gail. Uh-huh. And, like, I notice they're in different locations each time. So I'm, like, that's what I've been craving out of a Scream movie since Scream 2 is, like, the two of them together mm-hmm. in, like, a major way, which 3 and 4 never really did. Yeah. Um, so thoughts so. on 3. I feel like we need to say a moment of silence here for Courtney Cox's hair in Scream <laughs> Oh, those baby bangs. Oh, I feel bad. Um, oh. They're kind of chic now, though. I like, think, yeah, they kind of today's context. They're like, fringy and like super yeah. short, shorts. So maybe they've I mean, made Jennifer a Lawrence has that haircut and don't look up right now. Oh, that's um, true. <laughs> you know what I mean? And people are like, "She looks so good." I'm like, "Girl, Courtney Cox did this 21 years ago." <laughs> um, Scream three. This was a different writer, right? Yeah, it was Aaron Kruger. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, All right. So Scream four. <laughs> <laughs> Scream 3 has, a- has Parker Posey. You know, so, I have to say, all I can remember about Scream 3 is that it had Parker Posey in it, and I really like Parker Posey, but then immediately I go to some of Parker Posey's other films. So I'll say that Scream so, 3, Becca, for up- me, was like forgettable. <laughs> you brought up something interesting about how they had like no turnaround time with 2. Mm-hmm. So the way I look at it is, and they had two years for Scream 3. Scream 3 feels like the movie they had no time for, and Scream 2 feels like the movie they had two years to make. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. It totally um, does, because Scream 3, and I think that this is where my my lack of remembering it comes from. I don't remember it doing anything new. I don't remember it being suddenly like, ooh, plot twist or turn. Or well, you don't remember the that. multi-voiced voice changer? <laughs> Vaguely, and I will say, voice changer. This is the one that I have not seen the most recent. I think that was a double negative, but yeah, I haven't seen the one I saw the farthest away. Yeah, I think (laughs) three actually plays pretty well right now because it it talks about just Hollywood eating women alive. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you look at it in like the modern context, it like has a very Me Too mentality to it. Um, and it also is funny to look back on the movie as essentially making fun of Bob and Harvey Weinstein without them even fucking knowing it. Um, so like once you know, once you have all the modern day facts just about what our reality is now when it comes to that kind of stuff and just knowing more about the Weinsteins, it's kind of fun to go back and watch that movie and be like, 
holy shit, Wes Craven was making fun of these guys. And they had I think you, no clue. You just encouraged me to watch Scream 3 again, which no one has ever yeah. done. And then, you know, it's charming in the sense that, like, you can tell Courtney Cox and David Arquette are having a ball in that movie. You know, they had just gotten married when they made that movie, and they're essentially the focus for the first half of the film until mm-hmm. Neff Campbell shows up, because she was like, I think by Scream 3, she was like, you guys, okay, I'll do another one, but you only have me for like half the time you normally do. Yeah. So they had to like work around her schedule. So they carry the movie in the first half, and it's kind of fun to watch the two of them. Like, if you're going to like make two characters suddenly dipshits, I guess it's kind of fun <laughs> if it's Dewey and Gale. <laughs> It seems goofier too from memory. Like yeah. the scenes when they're in a house, I remember with Parker Posey and Courtney Cuxon. I, I quote a little bit. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and that's cool because we all love Scooby Doo, but it's also weird when you're used to a different kind. I've always felt the drama came from attention. There was mm-hmm. always attention yes. at play in the first two that created yeah. and heightened the drama. And in that one, I didn't feel that thread. You know. And the humor was very sophomoric. Yeah. It wasn't smart mm-hmm. and horror related. It was very like, you know, someone farting type humor in the movie you know it just not no knock to the writer but it just you can just tell it's not a kevin scripted film Mm -hmm. like and you can also tell at the time like knowing knowing what i know about these movies and like i know every detail of the history and the making of all of them too like i know wes was under a lot of pressure by the wine scenes to get the movie done you know they didn't want to wait for kevin because they didn't want to have to wait another year to release it so like that's why he didn't do the movie and you can just tell there's not a lot of joy coming off that film because I think that was really when the Weinstein started getting really hands-on with everything they were doing and everything was getting cut to shit and scripts were being written on the fly with every movie they were making. And that was like, I know Scream 3 went through that and Scream 4 went through that too. Now Scream 4, I've seen it getting a lot more love now than I remember it getting when it came out. Like I've had a lot of people, I was, Scream 4 is the one that I've watched most recently because I had people saying like, you need to go back and rewatch it. It is kind of beautifully meta um, and really smart in that capacity. Ahead of its time in a way. Well, the yeah. opening is incredible. All I remember is the opening, and I, I was going to actually ask you, should I watch Scream 4 prior to the new one, do you think? Do you yes. think? Okay, so it's going to be yeah. a good reminder. Okay. It's not one of those movies, you know Scream, it's not one of those movies where you need to like know every major yeah. detail, but there's a there's a, there's character carryover. Yeah, yeah. Judy's, you see her in the ads, like Judy's in the movie and cool. stuff, so it would be nice to like kind of brush up on. Yeah. I'm actually doing a marathon with some friends. We're all taking rapid tests Saturday morning, and then people are coming over here to watch all four of the movies oh that is so awesome isn't that fun (laughs) i've done i've done rapid test parties i've done it i did it at christmas time literally like take your rapid test at five o'clock and then get over here by seven (laughs) so yeah that's how we roll now is i've I've literally got a closet with a number of rapid tests in it for okay (laughs) let's hang out tonight rapid test people so Yeah, I actually just have. I have two more boxes coming today. Yeah, I've been um, ordering them off Amazon (laughs) um, because you can still get the Bimax ones on there. Yes, that's the ones I got. Yeah, Um, Elric. I was I was gone when all this stuff happened. I just got back in the country. I don't know what's going on anymore. I I heard there's a virus. I don't know what's happening. I'll catch up, I'm sure. I'm just glad they kept schools going this week, man. They were doing yeah. like school board meetings at like 8.30 on Sunday night about shutting down Monday. And I was like, God, no, oh no. Oh, but yeah, we're rolling with it. So, yeah, but screen but, four. So what was yeah. your feel like as a fan? Let's dial it back to not not as an expert, but as a fan who went to screen four 
what was your feeling after three and and a long period in between in a sense. But it felt to me like a long period to me. But I, it was 11, yeah. like uh, 10 and a half years. Like we're all different people by then. 11 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was definitely like, I was excited. I was like really excited. I never thought they'd make another Scream. So I remember when that was announced, I was like, holy shit, they're making another Scream movie. And then like the big thing online at the time was, is Nev Campbell going to do it? Because mm-hmm. there was... There was a time where like, she wasn't signing on, and I remember this is when Kevin Kevin Williamson before I even knew him, but he actively tweeted back then, mm. um, and I remember him tweeting, having to find having to find my Sidless version so sad or something like that. And I remember oh, being like, "Fuck, wow. she's not going to do the movie." Um, but then she eventually signed on, so I remember being really excited because I was like shocked that they got the trio again. Um. And then, like, the new cast was kind of great at the time, right? Like, uh, Emma Roberts was Emma big. Roberts as Jill. She was awesome. She's fantastic in the movie. And, like, yeah. Hayden Panettiere was, like, a really good cast. And I remember being excited for that. And I was, like, so pumped. I remember, like, that was back in the day when you could, like, get sides online really easily. And I remember, like, reading sides for the movie and being like, oh, my God, this is, like, totally Kevin. It's totally a Kevin movie. Yay! I remember that being, like, really excited that Kevin Williamson was writing the movie. Because my first thought was, yay, we're finally going to get one more proper scream. Mm -hmm. But then, like, the movie started filming and... You know, of course, I followed everything, and then like Lauren Graham drops out of the movie for scheduling conflicts, and then she was supposed to play Emma's mom, Emma oh. Roberts's mom in the movie. So like, she dropped out like a couple days into filming, and then Lake Bell, yeah. who I was love, initially, right? She was initially cast as Judy, hmm. so um. then she dropped out for scheduling reasons. So like, I started going, "What the hell is going on?" Huh. Like, there's no way two people just drop out, like, back to back. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, do you remember the site movie hole? Yes. It still exists. Yeah. yeah. He ran a big piece about how there was just, like, monster turmoil going on on that set. Mm. Like, that Kevin left the movie and Wes was fighting with Bob and that there was rewrites going on. And I was just like, at that moment, I remember being like, I don't part of me doesn't even care anymore because like now it's just, it's just a repeat of scream three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Cause in the article, he talked about how Aaron Kruger who wrote scream three was, was brought in to work on the script because Kevin left the project. And I was just like, it, as I, it, what I was, I remember saying at the time, one of my friends was like, the movie's being Weinstein. Mm. So I went in with really low expectations at that point. Um, and leaving disappointed. Um, I had fun with it, but it just didn't feel special like I was expecting it to feel. Um, and honestly, I feel like you can even tell the um, the direction from West kind of feels like, oh, fuck, like, why, why did I decide to do this movie? They're treating me like shit yet again. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you can kind of see it on Nev, Gale, and David Arquette's faces that they're just like, they fucked with us again. Like, we came back thinking it would be like our chance to do like a big beautiful reunion movie and like they like Nev Campbell's like looking around and be like, am I really making fucking tea in this scene? <laughs> like I'm sitting here making tea and putting away groceries. What am I doing? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. but there's like some brilliance in it too. Like the ending is brilliant. The commentary is brilliant, mm-hmm. but you can also tell like what the movie would have been if they just let Kevin and Wes make the movie they wanted to make. You can see those nuggets. Um, 
But even like the rules of the movie that they talk about, I'm like, who wrote this? Because like these are totally made up. <laughs> like it's like the one rule being like you have to pretty much be gay to survive. Who the fuck wrote that? Because no. <laughs> That goes it's against 2011. every horror film of the 80s. Right. In 2011, yeah. someone was claiming that all gay people survived horror movies. We're not in that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that what you mean by surviving? <laughs> um, but the yeah. ending is brilliant and, and such a great commentary. And I think it's well-received now. I, I feel like it's a better-received movie now because I feel like the commentary is even, like, more pointed now because the way social media has come it's almost like the movie predicted it um in a way i remember seeing this um when it came out i was there like opening weekend or i was in grad school in richmond at the time um oh no kidding yeah i was when i was doing my my coursework um and i remember i was there for like two semesters and i saw it at the arclight richmond and i went to see it opening night and like no one was there it was like yeah, you know, like 20 I- other people. And then I remembered that like thousand person screening I had seen for the original. And it was like, what have we done? Yeah. Um, I remember the show. I went to a midnight showing because that was back before midnight showing started at like 4 p.m. Um, and I went to a midnight showing and I remember walking into the theater and being like, where the hell is everybody? Yeah. Yeah. And then the movie opened to like 18 million or something, which was like way lower than two and three. And I was like, Oh fuck, people didn't want to see this movie. And I thought, I think you could tell in the marketing like that. Mm-hmm. It was like, they just made another sequel yeah, at, it was at that point. Definitely haphazard. But. And which is why five feels great. Cause like they're really making it feel like an event. I think that it needed that some time. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how, how many ten years. Ten, okay. Yeah, so that, that it's been sense. 2011. So yeah. And it's enough yeah. time for us to go like, you know what I miss? Like, I think it needs that. Like when you're spinning out a so soft too. film every year, when you get a new soft film, you just kind of, you know, you get petered out by it. Same with like the yeah. activities. Like it takes some well, time before you're like, okay, you know what? I kind of reflectively want to go back there. Yeah. No, I'd watch a yeah, Mark Lutz to- movie every year if I could. <laughs> normal uh, marked ones two three four i'll watch all the marked ones i like chris on that i liked the new one gotta say i liked the new one oh, so. with the new one yeah i liked amish country it was an interesting setting i was in so. well people always give currently give like in the horror genre they give halloween the credit for like creating the legacy sequel but scream 4 did it yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah. But I think the difference is, is the Weinsteins and the studio and the marketing and everything didn't embrace that aspect of it. They didn't, you know, in a way they didn't, I mean, the term legacy sequel wasn't even a thing. So like, I don't think they understood that. Like they could have kind of said, this is why it's special as mm-hmm. opposed to just saying your friends are back. Here's another screen. Whereas Halloween really leaned into that. I feel like this new movie is really leaning into that. Like yeah. is really leaning into the idea of like these characters are like your older, wiser people that are going to kind of show these young kids the ropes, mm-hmm. um, which is really fun and like I think different for the franchise. So, do you yeah. think they can make? I guess uh, with horror, I'm always wondering this with franchise, especially ones once we become familiar. Can they? Can we make? You know, can we make the scream mask scary? Can we make that character right. scary? Because the first one. 
even though it's <clears> Evil's <throat> heart, was scary because I didn't know what it was. Yeah. And then it obviously loses, even though it doesn't become comic. I think part of that is also because it was being satired in the um, the scary right. movies. movies. And so once you're yeah. satired, it's it's quite like Freddy, right? It's similar. So I'm wondering if this new, um, that's probably my biggest hope is I want to feel tense and scared mm-hmm. again from a yeah. screen movie. Well, I think they're, I love that they're kind of leaning into that in the marketing. Like, yeah. I think they're really going, cause I've seen a couple people online be like, well, why aren't they, where's the humor? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, girl, you know, it's going to be there. Yeah. yeah. So they're showing you like when the, when the first trailer came out, my first thought to was they're, they're, they're leaning into the idea that they want to make Ghostface scary again, because in the trailer, he's pretty brutal. And I feel like he is as Dewey's character set as Dewey says in the trailer, like this, something this time feels different. Mm. I think that comes across in the actual, what they're showing the audience, like Ghostface looked the same, but he felt different to me just in the two minute trailer where it's like, Oh, he's like got an edge this time. He looks mean. I'm hoping like, yeah, yeah, I'm hoping he gets like a new nightmare makeover where they do something to make it feel sinister again. Yeah, like there's like, it looks like there's like a harshness to him that mm-hmm. we haven't seen in a while. And I think it's been effective in the campaign. And I think that campaign's been really smart going, you know, we can make this scary again if you just trust us. Yeah. So, um, plus those filmmakers are just so good. I mean, Ready or Not is like such... If you're going to have an audition for a new screen movie, I mean, Ready or Not is like the perfect audition. It is. It is. uh, That was was in, I think, both of our top 10 lists the year that that came out. Funny. It's so great. And and like, just so, I love a movie that just really knows what it is and goes, you want a really awesome female character? Here you go. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it's just so satisfying. Well, let's dig in on what Scream did. Let's talk about how Scream had this magnificent impact when it came out in 1996. And then all- Depending on who you ask. I enjoyed it. I think- um, Me too. Yeah. Like Uh, suddenly- I'll be a naysayer. I enjoy those movies so much more now. Like so much more now than at the time. Not all of them. Some I really liked at the time, but even the bad ones that I hated at the time, because I wanted more Scream, I, I watch them now. I go, this is really fun. I will so, say. It's very, yeah. The bad ones are very 80s. That's yeah. what I take away mm-hmm. from it now. It's like, yeah. you want your 80s slasher fix, but with like a hot topic look. And, and with big yeah. budgets. Watch they feel big. Too. Yeah, they feel yeah. big. And, <laughs> They're yeah. all shiny. Like, yeah. And yeah. everybody's yeah. really shiny and sexy yeah. in them and has and great like, hair. Got an orange tint. Yeah. <laughs> box covers they're all wearing black turtlenecks standing in a line uh, with their arms crossed that's oh, yeah, just yeah. how you did it yeah um, i mean the faculty they all wore tommy hilfiger oh, yeah. oh because there was like a huge tommy hilfiger ad campaign tied to that movie which is so great it's like so 90s an 80s horror movie never would have done that. that's already one of the big impacts you're talking about is the cast right it became even though not not many others got quite that level of a cast obviously they went more for like the tv famous tv actors but it was yeah. each one of these movies was about how many faces can we put that you recognize all that together you recognize yeah. yeah it was like chic to do a scary movie yeah, yeah. for a while you um know, like look at sarah michelle yeah so she was this... like cast me and everything oh god yeah <laughs> No, and this was definitely the time when I, and I don't even think that it was limited to just horror films. I think that this kind of ushered in a new wave of, I'll call it teen media. Cause it was, absolutely. This, we get Dawson's Creek. We get, you know, there was just a whole bunch of like teen media. 
even in films that we weren't seeing before. Like suddenly the, the teenage story became hip again after screen. Well, like, I mean, think about just non-horror movies. It was like Can Hardly Wait, American Pie. Yep. Like, you know, all those rom-coms that Dimension Films was doing. Oh, yeah. Them too. Never like, been he's kissed. all that, or she's yeah. all that, never been kissed. What was like, the one about the girls, the girl in the overalls who turned out to be really sexy? I can't even remember that. Uh, she's all that. Oh, that is she's all that. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, there was like, there was like a, I remember when I, I graduated high school in 1998, the summer I graduated high school, there was like three big teen movies that summer mm-hmm. and one dealt with graduation. So I remember that was like the movie all the kids in my grade went to go see. It was Can't Hardly Wait. It was like all set at a graduation party. Um, but yeah, you're right. Totally teen media frenzy. And MTV even started matching features during this time. Cause I remember like dead man on campus, like they had mm-hmm. their own line come out as well, really trying to capture on that teen frenzy as well. Um, but yeah, so it, it definitely like, those were the films that shaped like my first couple of years of college were these teen yeah. stories that we weren't otherwise. Varsity seeing. blues. Varsity blues. Oh yeah. But for this show, we have decided to kind of count down our three favorite neo slashers from this time period each. And then we're also going to give you, I'm sure, some runner ups and some deep cuts as well. Um, So, yeah. No runners up. No one gets runner up. I I have runners (laughs) up. Fuck it. It's happening. Michael actually picked one of the ones that I'm very excited for us all to talk about because, again, one of the the ones that was on uh, your list is one that. When it came out, it was kind of towards the end of the cycle. And I looked at it and yeah. I was like, ah, oh, I really hate this now. And it's of all of them, it's become the oh, one I like most now. It's my thing. <laughs> so we will, oh my God. We will leave we'll people in into, but because yeah. 2000 is late, it feels yes. late, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, okay, we'll jump around. You want, well, we should start with the guest. Guest to guest go first. Yeah, please. kick us off, Mike. All right, well, let's go chrono. Let's do in chrono. Yeah, that's smart. Okay. Um, Okay, because for me, I know what you did last summer. Like, it's obvious, right? It's the first one after Scream. Yeah. And it's also the only other one. Like, Urban Legend was a hit, but not in the same way Scream yeah. and I Know What You Did Last Summer were. I Know What You Did Last Summer was a huge success. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, in, written by Kevin. So, like, I remember him telling me once, he's like, oh, like, the minute, like, Scream started making money they were like we need to make this movie as soon as we can <laughs> like um so he was rewriting that while writing scream 2 and that's um, based off a book right yeah lois duncan okay yeah i know what you did last summer which was totally it's essentially the only uh aspects he took from the book are the four characters mm-hmm. and then the accident and then he turned it into a slasher movie. The book is not a slasher movie. The book is one of those books where the twist in the book only works if you don't have a visual medium to mm-hmm. tell it the yeah. story through. <laughs> um, I remember yeah, I you did last summer. That one has such a powerful killer with it being like the fishing community. I will never forget mm. the crabs in the trunk, but then just the, the rain, the fisherman's rain slicker with the, the fish hook um, yeah. kind of becoming cool. you know, the super iconic image from that time period like a lot of these films that i know we're going to talk about did not necessarily have they really tried like valentine and a couple of them they really <laughs> tried to make that iconic mask character um I dare but- you just say boreans in the mirror five times you won't be able to do it don't, don't be dissing on my valentine <laughs> i still can't believe though urban legend 2 went with a fencing mask like, <laughs> <laughs> so oh, funny god. 
That's the one where they did the dog in the microwave, and I think I turned uh, off the VHS tape. Well, the cat, yeah. but the cast is also uh, everyone's gorgeous. Everyone is like on the rise. Like all of that key cast, they are all just peaking. So it's it really. It, I think it actually almost is an equal to scream with casting in mm-hmm. terms of young talent. Yeah. Even in a way, it might even personify the '90s more than yeah. Scream. Yeah. yeah, when it comes to cast, because it's such a, you know, Sarah Michelle Geller was just about to hit her fervor, and same with Jennifer Love Hewitt and Freddie Prinze Jr., Ryan Phillippe, of course, were total babes. So like suddenly they're instantly famous overnight. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing that I love about that movie, watching it now, is that it's not a screen clone like the rest of them. Mm-mm. It actually. Sure, there's a couple meta lines because it's Williamson and he, you know, there's a couple lines where it's like, you know, Angela Lansbury always had a plan type stuff. But it's more of an 80s slasher movie than any of the post-screen movies. And I I think that's why I love it so much. And I also think it gets an unfair comparison to Scream because I think they're very different movies in a lot of ways. And it avoids what's always the the Scooby-Doo problem, right? And so, which is the problem within Scream itself after the first one. The first one, it works perfectly, but then when everything starts to hinge on who is the killer, I find that, and some of these movies, like that's a very powerful fisherman, a lot of strength, and it's just scary. It didn't matter. You know, it's not about a final Mm -hmm. reveal, which is very hard to write for, a final reveal. And I have yeah, to say, you know, and oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Becca. I, I was going to say it's not on my list by any stretch, but I also like part two. Um, I find part Super two fun. to be really fun. I love that it did like the 80s thing where it was like, let's just pick up and do the, the episode in Hawaii. Or I think they go to the Caribbean. <laughs> and I love that the entire premise of part two hinges on the fact that Americans are really shitty at geography. Oh, it's like just yeah, this beautiful I mean, entrance into it. Beautiful. You know what I also love about, I love about movies like, I know I still know you did last summer, is it, uh, Mekai Pfeiffer's character, the whole movie is like, I haven't seen a fisherman. What the fuck, Julie? Like, there's no, it's like, but you've seen five dead bodies. <laughs> so whether or not you think it's the fisherman, yeah. <laughs> There's a dude killing people. Those so things happen all the time. So yeah, you know, or it's like in the Halloween Resurrection when Jamie Lee Curtis is like, I have to be sure this is my brother. It's like the dude just tried to fucking kill you. Who cares if it's Michael Myers or not? You know, like, so I love when slasher movies do that. Um, but I think I know you did last summer. The thing I love about it too is like if Scream was Kevin's Halloween, I know you did last summer is Friday the 13th because. Mm-hmm. We don't know who the killer is the whole movie, but it doesn't hinge on that mystery. And then it ends up just being the parent of a character. You know what I mean? Like in that same way where it's like, oh, this is who the killer is. You've never met them yet, but you're going to roll with this. And you're kind of like, okay. You know what I mean? Like, and he kind of gives like a Betsy Palmer-esque batshit performance on that fishing boat. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just a lot of fun. Yeah, it's also pretty well directed. Like I watched it again; yeah, it's a beautiful, not long ago, and I was like, "This is really well put together." It's mm-hmm. as a that chase scene with Sarah Michelle Gellar is really iconic. It's yeah. like one of the best chase scenes in slasher, yeah. all of slashers. Um, I I wouldn't normally push myself to go second here, but because it's already coming under attack, I've got to go with the most postmodern of them all: Urban Legend Two, the final cut. Uh, you, you did part it. two okay oh yes i like urban legend one i rewatched it recently 
And I will admit one thing about Urban Legend 2. There is no scene with Joshua Jackson listening to the theme song of Dawson's Creek. That is a problem <laughs> that the first one really nailed because I was a big Dawson Creek kid. Uh, that was my show. show. Um, yeah, I loved that, that show. show. <laughs> um, probably as much as some people love Scream, I love Dawson's I, Creek. At the- that movie, Dawson's Creek, almost, it made me apply to go to North Carolina Greens. You're Greens, kidding. Because that's where they filmed it. They were shooting a oh ton God, of like it. teen stuff right there. And I got in and I almost like... Like went there because that was like they were starting to do all these teen things there. Um, and even yeah. while I was still in school, I thought about transferring there because they started as soon as Dawson's Creek took off. They'd had like five other hit shows out of there, and I can't even remember. And which Sony had like a lot there eventually. Mm-hmm. No, no, yeah. it's it's influential. I bought a sailboat to try to screw my friend's <laughs> girlfriend, and it totally backfired because I, I don't like the sea. But I tried, and that's that's so the pacey way. <laughs> Pacey's words. Anyway, so pushing all that aside, let the no. I I hated this one when I saw it, and I watched it. You know, maybe just a couple years ago. And you know what I loved about it was beyond the meta uh, is when I was. I think I saw this when I was starting film school, so I hated it. Now, as somebody who's been in, through film school and taught at film school, I watch it now and I'm like, wow, this is really on it. <laughs> it is, the set <laughs> yeah, is cool. nailing it. It's, there's all this uh, joke going through it about winning the, you know, the Hitchcock Award for these. It's the a film Hitchcock school. Award. Uh, the, this, the, the, it opens with a film within a film, which is, you know, done in a really big kind of fun way. I think John Altman's just a good director. Scott Derrickson's script, which, you know, is Corinne's script, which is fun. Is it really a Derrickson? Yeah. He's, it's, I think it's wow. Corinne, which wow. surprised me at the time. Um, some, you know, some faces that we now recognize, like Jennifer Morrison became a big deal. I mean, it's a huge cast. Yeah, even Mendez, Joey, Joey Lawrence cast. sells it itself. Uh, I mean, it's a super fun movie. But I see, I, I didn't think that before. And, and what was interesting, though, watching it this time, I thought the kills and some of the heartbeats, especially once the fencing mask came in, felt like a jalo. <laughs> and that was my thing. It felt less like Absolutely. a slasher and more like a jalo. And that's mm-hmm. not, that got me really excited about it again for some reason. So whether this is really, if I was really ranking my top three, uh, I would probably have had, there's one on your list and I know what you did. But but watching this, this was the biggest surprise rewatch I've had in years for a movie like this. I had a rewatch of it recently too and appreciated it much more than I ever yeah. have. Mm-hmm. Because it does, tr- when you go back and watch those movies later, like, they're all pretty good. Yeah. yeah. They're not bad like people were saying at the time. Like, they're all pretty well. Like, the thing that they all try to do, some more successful than others, is they all... T- one of the things they all took from Scream, besides the menace, is they took the character care. Mm-hmm. Or at least tried to. And I feel like uh, Jennifer Morrison's a really great character, really great actor, really good final girl. The thing I love about that movie, too, is she's got like four or five attack sequences yeah which a lot like i can't think of a, a slasher heroine that went through more shit than her <laughs> yeah and they <laughs> structure is smart yeah yeah but the structure it's like she's attacked like three or four different times and they really make it it's a pretty suspenseful movie yeah. very hitchcockian you know they literally mention the hitchcock award and it's, yeah like, some of the shots in the movie are like like cool they're trying shit here yeah, yeah. Okay. So I just think it's a little underrated. That that might be a better way to put it. But, I agree. But I had fun the last time watching it. So just in case, as a soon as you guys people. started laying into it as your example, I was like, well, I better, I better get this out before. I love I- it. <laughs> I love it. The fencing mask, not so much, but yeah. I actually really love it. All right. <laughs> Which a I- lot of people now like it more than the first. Wow. Now I definitely have to go back and rewatch because my yeah. third is the forest. Um, so my my one that I'll kick off oh, yeah. with is Urban Legend, the original film. Good. Yeah, it's I so great. 
loved this movie so much when it came out. I mean, the cast was amazing. This was Jared Leto, Alicia Witt, Rebecca Gayhart at like prime Noxima girl phase. Um, I mean, that hair. She knows what movie she's into. The hair. Oh, man. (laughs) She and this movie, it it felt so sleazy. It even had Robert England doing like a little cameo in it. Daniel Harris. Yeah. Oh, my. And this movie. That's Daniel Harris as the roommate. That's right. Oh, my God. That's so funny. This hit at such a weird time that I have vivid memories of it because this is right. This is like 1998. By this point, the internet is like a widespread thing. And I'm really going to date myself here. Like my parents got internet in like 94, 95. And basically like all you could do with it was like chat with weirdos. Yeah. Um, it, was <laughs> not, it was not like a, I feel like it was not like it is today where I'm like, I wonder how to make an omelet. I'll Google that. Like it was not that thing. <laughs> and then 96, I remember going off to college and that's where like the internet was open to me. Or at least maybe just my parents had the shitty internet and all the capability we had was chatting with weirdos. Thank you, Freetel. <laughs> I still remember the program, Freetel. Um, chatting with weirdos um, who are not who they say they are. But anyway, so I go up to college in 96. That's how we met, Michael. comes out. Um, <laughs> suddenly, the internet is like this open space. And one of my favorite things to do in college was Googling urban legends because urban legends changed with the advent of the internet. Because previously to that, if somebody said oh my God, there are these kids in Iowa and they're getting like razor blades in their candy at Halloween time. Suddenly every mom in my neighborhood was like smashing Snickers to find the razor blades. Like there was no way to disprove that shit. It was just all fact. You know, heroin needles in the ball pit at McDonald's, dogs in microwave. It was all just fact. Um, Very hard to believe fact. And I remember in 1998 was when I first found Snopes. And it was like, you know, suddenly like reading all of these urban legends and being like, nope, that never happened. Nope, that never happened. Don't <laughs> rice at weddings because the birds are going to explode. Never happened. Um, you know, it's just all bullshit. Like the world is bullshit. I was really hopeful about that one. I thought that was <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> um, Not true. Um, but, and then I remember seeing urban legend come out. And at the time I had just been given this series of books by this author. I even looked up her name um, called Jan Brunvan. And I had every single one of her books and they were on urban legends and kind of the history of them. And then seeing this movie come out, I was so excited to see which urban legends they were going to tackle. And I remember just thinking <laughs> that this was the most clever way uh-huh. to kind of get into a slasher. And I just remember being completely blown away by how clever I thought it was at the time period. So much so that a couple of years ago, I started saying, holy shit, there needs to be a remake because urban legends have taken on an entirely new form yep. on the internet. Oh, yeah. Where like you randomly tweet one thing about some cancer kid collecting cards and like 200 tweets later, 3,000 cards have been sent to this mailbox in, you know, Topeka that doesn't exist. And it's just like a whole thing now. Um, And so I kept saying there has to be one, there has to be one. And it's been greenlit and stopped a number of times, but I am praying to God for an urban legend reboot. Not connected to the, I I agree with you. I I think no one's ever done, like there's been, you know, Candyman's a great example Mm -hmm. of an urban legend. There's lots of great movies that are based on an urban legend, but never one that has taken multiple urban legends and really uh, done, I guess, scary tales to tell in the dark as a version of that, but it's coming from a book. So yeah, very different. Yeah. No, I loved that one. So I love much. urban legend. Oh, urban legend one and two already on the board. Who would have already thought? on the I mean, boards? Like, urban legend gets an extra point over two because of Rebecca Gayhart at the end. I know. Oh, yeah. 
doubt. Yeah, she like saw she saw Laurie Metcalf at the end of Scream Two and was like, "I'm gonna raise you infinity." Yeah. I'm totally doing it. <laughs> I'm taking two points it. off for Lido. So sorry, guys. He, and, <laughs> he just doesn't look happy oh, there. That's a good point. <laughs> Urban Legend is directed by the same person as Valentine, which I yep. never connected until like Jamie you know, Blanks. I started oh, yeah. Googling and then was like, oh, that's the so thing. So did you know that Urban Legend, when they were shooting Urban Legend, like Jamie Blanks was like 24. Mm. Wow. The producer was like 23. The guy, Sylvia Horta, who has since passed, but when he wrote the script, he was like 21 or 22. Wow. He was writing it in school. Cool. Wow, like, that somehow yeah. makes sense. Like it feels hip as shit. Yeah. Um, it, it feels hip like- as shit, and when you watch it, you can tell there's like a very camp, mm-hmm. like summer camp attitude to yeah. it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that is my number three is Urban Legend 1998. Okay, love it. chronologically, what you got next for us, Michael? I am gonna go. I love this movie so much. It's my favorite of the post scream slashers that isn't scream two and um it's one of my favorite slasher movies ever made and it's cherry falls fucking love cherry Mm -hmm. falls love it i actually just um my birthday was in august and i rented out uh by the way this is something you can do if you ever want to do it and it's really fun and it's not expensive i rented out the backyard of sugar mint gallery Mm. and did a screening of Cherry Falls back there. Wow. That's with like 20 of my friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was, I did a poll before the movie and I was one of two people that had ever seen it before. Oh, wow. And, um, it was all mostly horror, a lot of horror Mm -hmm. folks that were there and not many had seen it. Um, and it was one of the best times I've had watching a movie in a really long time. Clark Wolf was there. And she was sitting right in front of me. I was loving living through her for like 90 minutes. Like <laughs> she kept turning around and going, what is this movie? <laughs> but like in a good way. Oh, yeah. um, I love it. It's so weird. It's, it takes the structure of 90s horror and then just like, is like, I'm going to be just the weirdest person you've ever met with this. It's just so bizarre. Bizarro. Interest choices stuff, right? So- like bizarro. Yes. yes. Michael Bean is Mom just. Mom kissing awesome. daughter on the lips weirdly. Dad and daughter looking in each other in the eyes sexually. Like yeah. the every character has the, the, oh, the ending. The pop your oh. cherry orgy party, y'all. Pop I mean, cherry like, ball. the pop your cherry ball. So this <laughs> that's a good was concept, shot. Right? Yeah, that's a great concept. Though. It's amazing. Yeah. This was shot in Virginia. It was shot like Charlottesville, like Richmond area of Virginia. And this was a huge deal when I was in college because it was like, oh, they're shooting a film here. Like I have friends from college that drove up to work on it. And so when it finally came out, it was immediately like, everybody, we're going to watch Cherry Falls. And I remember being like, I don't know if this movie's okay. Like I feel awkward (laughs) watching it so much so that I don't know if it's okay to like this movie because there's just so much weirdness happening in it like I I, Twin Peaks yeah Yeah. it was it was uh, but this uh, that said this is my number two as well Um, so (laughs) yes I have absolutely sorry Elric I skipped you did you have Cherry Falls on your list when I saw your list that's the only reason it's not because it would have been on there because uh, because it was of the ones when it came out it signified to me the end of all of this to be honest when it came out it kind of got a at least where I was living it kind of didn't get theatrical went Mm -hmm. got this disc release and then I remember watching it going oh and it felt like out with a bit of a whimper and actually I have a different 
weird in with it was I actually was a fan of the director. Uh, Jeffrey Wright is this Australian director who made a, a big impact in that part of the world with a very violent, uh, upsetting movie called Romper Stomper when I was like, th- was oh, yeah, which which introduced Russell Crowe to the world, really. I had no idea yeah. that was him. That was him. And he was, oh, yeah. there was a time where he was going to become a really big director. He, he, he made another Aussie film called Metal Skin, which is cool. But he was like on, meant to do things like at one point Silver Surfer, you know, like well before all these Marvel movies, you know. And so he had all these kind of bigger projects and I kept waiting for that that big thing it never really came and then he made this so it was you know so i was like coming in with all these kind of other weird uh angles also love that jay moore tv show what was the mm-hmm. one where he's the uh, film producer oh, uh yes. i can't remember the name of it now but it was damn funny I can't remember it either uh, it was like on tv late at night just randomly <clears throat> this movie had the unfortunate <clears throat> it, it, unfortunate timing with columbine mm-hmm. oh, um, right. another one like that it was supposed to be i know a lot about this movie because like I did a lot of research just to find it. Mm-hmm. When it came out, I actually had to drive. I was in college and I actually had to drive to a blockbuster in another state wow. to rent the movie. Um, the one copy that this blockbuster video had, and I like called around and finally found one in Michigan. I went to school in Northwest Ohio for college and had to drive to northern or Southern Michigan to go get it. Um, so I was like obsessed with why, because I remember there was like a kind of a, the start of a big marketing blitz for the movie and then it just disappeared. Mm-hmm. And so like in my research, I found that like the studio freaked. Yeah. They like just didn't feel comfortable releasing a movie about kids and virgins and all this stuff. So it was a USA films production, mm. which was the actual channel was getting into feature films so it, they ended up just premiering it on USA Cable one night. Wait, was that Silk Stockings? Was that? No. Yeah. That, oh, that is. Yeah. Then that's how Jay Moore, because that was, I feel like that was also on USA. It was. Okay. Then there's how they yeah. got Jay Moore in it as well. Wow. So yeah, so it ended up premiering on USA. So like, if you look, it's like considered the most, like one of the most expensive TV movies ever yeah. made. Interesting. Um, and then it got like a very minimal DVD release. So, but it was being heralded the next screen, I remember. Because I remember, like, it, again, Becca talking about the internet. This was one of the first movies I was following on the internet before it came out. Because mm-hmm. I had saw an early trailer for it, and it was being heralded as, like, the next Scream franchise. And then it definitely just came out with a whimper. But this, this oh, is one I think awesome. I would love to see theaters like the New Bev and places play this because I do think yes. this is such an audience film and it's bonkers yes. in all the right ways. It has twists that so really fun. will make you jump out of your seat laughing or, you know, surprised. So I think I think with the crowd, that would be a big game changer. The oh. only place you can find it right now is Shout Factory. Yeah. Oh, wow. Correction. Jay Moore was not in Silk Stockings. We're, we're circling all those TV shows at the same time. It was um, Gary Unmarried. Is that it? That was he, the, did a uh, yeah, he did a lot of TV. I can't remember. It was the filmmaking one was something called like Cut or Final Cut or something, you know, generic like that. It was one of those shows that you see one time late at night, no one's talking about, it, and suddenly you realize, wow, that's genius. Like, what was that? <laughs> you know? But yeah, no, I mean, do you remember? As I'm digging through you, his IMDb, do you remember the Australian slasher movie Cut? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is also yeah. similar. Yeah, Kylie Minogue's in there. It's similar to Urban Legend yeah. too, in a way. Yeah, it's got some similarities. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Molly Ringwald, right? Fun movie. Yeah. 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 She's like the American actress that they hire to come do this Australian movie. I should rewatch that. Uh, one. I, that one I only saw when it first came out, but it's, it's movies like that. When you see them again, I think part of it is because we're now, we're now, cause I really like indie horror and I like mm-hmm. low budget, realistic movies. 
But I also really miss now that these movies that could have been straight to video kind of trash instead have these really elevated budgets, glossy looks to them. Yeah. Celebrity yeah. stars. And you, then you go, yeah, we don't really have much of that. Not on that, not on that way anymore. You know, no, it's a very totally. different model. Because you're totally right. I'll work. I want to see cherry falls at like beyond Fest. Yeah. Right? Something like that with like Michael Bean and Jay Moore and get, get whoever you can yeah. get in there, you know? Yeah. Uh, but Brittany Murphy's also really good in it. She, she it's a really crazy role and she's, she's you know, really great. Yeah. And, and I remember thinking uh, this recently that it has themes of something like repulsion where it is kind of confronting this idea of sexuality head on, but doing it in such a weird, awkward way that it doesn't seem like it's making a social statement, but there's so much there. I feel like it has to be. Yeah, it's so good. I think Michael kind of hit it by saying the Twin Peaks comparison. It feels like this, if somebody could take this now and make a better series out of it, like use all the same concepts, all the same yep. thing, but just give it more time to to grow. Yeah, that's this is actually one I want to see another incarnation of. I just know it's like it's lost in Universal's probably vault somewhere. Yeah. They probably don't even know that they own the rights to the movie. Yeah, probably mm-hmm. <laughs> but the, those kind of more serious themes you can get, you can definitely look at that on TV now. Whereas he couldn't in back then. So, um, yeah. Well, you that we saved time. You guys both picked that one. So, yeah. Um, my one I actually rewatched last night, and I was really excited to talk about this. And it was interesting. This one I hadn't seen in a while, and the first half I was kind of like meh because uh, the characters were so kind of bad. But then the second half is so freaking good that this is one of my favorite of the whole time period. This is late, so this is 2005, and I'm talking about House of Wax. Which nice. I saw this yeah. in theaters, it blew me. I was I went in with such low expectations for this movie, like in the theater, because Paris Hilton was in it probably mostly. And I remember just being like, "Whoa!" They delivered like this full gothic, like crazy special effects extravaganza by the end. But the, but watching it last night, and I hadn't seen it for. Luckily, all of that still held up. Like it, it hadn't lost any of that. Good, good director too, Jean Collet Serrat, who did Orphan and uh, things like that, and the Hayes brothers who wrote it, which I didn't realize. Who, yeah. and oh, that's right. Oh, wow. They went on to do Conjuring One and Two. Yeah, so were his characters. Yeah. Um. So this movie, what was you know the setup is the same. It, the it's coming from Scream, and I know what you did last summer with the young TV actors. You got Jared Padalecki and Chad Michael Murray, um, <laughs> Alicia oh Cuthbert, and like, and and they're all meant to be edgy, which is hilarious. Watching Chad Michael Murray, he's meant to be so edgy. Like the <laughs> cops were coming after him for a stolen car, yeah, and he's wearing he's a hoodie. Me. And uh, I'm just gonna say he's the tough guy with this hoodie. Yeah, yeah with you're, the shape. You're leaving out Paris Hilton. Right, well, so out. and watching that again this time, and I remember at the time going, I thought I'd hate it because that, but she actually did pretty well watching it this time. And she directly does a a thing on her sex tape. I mean, the guy pulls out a camera and is filming her and she looks back at it saying, stop doing that the same way, replicating the thing she was known for in the moment. I was like, okay, that's actually pretty, pretty head on that she's taking her image. Um, But the first half is just, you know, a bunch of people, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's a bunch of people that get together, friends to go to a football game, but they get stuck in traffic. I mean, there's a whole scene where some of them are already where you're meant to go in the screenplay and the others are in traffic. And you're like, wait a minute, that's not how these scripts work. Sorry. Uh, but once you get out of that, I'd say that's like the first 45 minutes. Once it gets to the small town um, with the Alicia, Alicia Cuthbert and Jared Padalecki character, and in this town, there's all these automatons and, and creatures so made away. It is it incredible gets, in that way. It gets so tourist trappy. Tourist trappy yeah, for yeah. Sure. It feels yes. like a direct love letter to tourist yeah. trap because it is this group of kids like, holy shit, we're stuck here in this weird town with all of these like mannequins around them. And then a pit of like decaying deer. Um, yeah, that, I remember that. Kind of <laughs> yeah, it's really creepy. 
And I remember it having a huge set at the end, like a massive set piece where they literally burn the town. No, it's massive. And it actually lit a a real fire from memory. It was shot in Australia, I think, on the Universal Australian lot. And I believe there was an actual real fire while they're shooting that. Oh, no kidding. Um, But but it's watching it even less. Oh, it looks so expensive. What these, like, these scenes. And also, there's, so what the killer's doing, there's these, there's conjoined twins. I won't get too into it, but the conjoined twins were separated. And what you start to see is their mother made these like beautiful uh, wax creations but what you realize is they're saving time now and they're just killing people and then covering them in wax and Dipping when them. yeah and when that melts <laughs> it's really disturbing how pieces of flesh come yeah. off she pulls it off the guy's face yeah. and like his jaw goes with it it's horrifying but it's, it's like yeah. very practical yeah no and that's i think that's what i loved time it wasn't being done a lot and, and yeah. it's an evolution slasher and, and i mean that in the sense that it's not just copying what scream did it's going okay let's take the character stuff let's take that structure to get you in and then let's actually go do a throwback to things that are actually closer to say the original of a uh, house of wax very different movie but something that is more uh gnarly and intriguing uh twilight zoney which i, I just watching mm-hmm. last night i was really impressed how, how well it held up uh in that second half so I wanted to make it's sure nice to see a brother sister yeah. focus yeah. in a movie too, as opposed to like the girl in the love interest or, you know, I still like, think they're fucking, I, but... pre- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look at them. How can look at them? It's I mean, Chad Michael Murray. <laughs> right. But I do appreciate when movies kind of give you a little bit different of a, it gives you a different yeah, feeling at the, the end. Like when characters yeah. are going to survive or not, you kind of go, Oh yeah, I've seen every other iteration, but this is like kind of earned. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But anyway, great movie. It, it still held up. I was surprised. Um, but yeah, some of the start. Watch it for screenplay reasons. It's like interesting to watch going, yeah, I don't know if you needed that 10 minutes mm-hmm. of people going out of your story <laughs> a different direction. You know, it's, uh, anyway, so House of Wax. Um, so I'm at my third. I've lost track. Yeah, this is our last. I'm at my third okay. as well. Excellent. Okay. Um, oh, I'm oh gonna... it's Michael first, I think. Yeah, Michael, go first. You're, you guys coded. Um... Mm-hmm. Cherry Falls, yeah. right. So I, I jump way ahead, which I don't think this is technically... Con- I wouldn't technically call this like a post-scream slasher. If it's I mean, influenced. It yeah, it if it's influenced. Came after, but I feel like it's definitely influenced by it. And I'm, um, but for me, it's a bridge between... I don't know if it's a bridge between like 90s horror and now because it is so much later, but it has a very much, it's a spirit of a 90s horror, but with a modern day sensibility. Mm-hmm. It's happy that day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's very much a modern, it is a modern scream in a lot of ways. And I know Chris well enough now to know that like he was definitely influenced by that movie. And it's a big deal for me because it honestly, I mean, I have a freaky poster right over my fucking head. And, like, <laughs> Yeah, Freaky wouldn't exist if Happy Death Day didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and they both make slashers spirit. feel new again. It, it like they something do. fresh. Where they, and I re- that's what I, I love about it. I remember, like prior to Happy Death Day, when shopping things around Hollywood, if you had a slasher, it was always the we can't do slashers again until it reinvents the wheel. I remember hearing that. Like if you get yeah. a slasher, it has to do something that's like completely different it can't be a scream one that's meta it can't be a vintage one where we don't know the rules it has to be completely fucking different and happy death day did you know kind of reinvent the wheel by borrowing from somewhere else and it, it really yeah i mean it's in that capacity chris in a way created like a mashup mm-hmm. genre really effectively and um 
you know, it's very much got like a little bit of a nineties quality to it with the characters and just the, the zaniness in a way and the wittiness to it. And like the awareness of the movie, but it felt meta in a much different way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the movie was very aware of itself, but it also told like a very, just very smart, refreshing female point of view story mm-hmm. um, that we don't get a lot in these films. And again, the thing that he took from it, and I, I think we did with Freaky successfully is like, it was character first. Yeah. You know, if that's the one legacy that people, I don't think you scream enough credit for is that they really ushered scream really ushered in an era of slasher movies where you really want to root for the characters. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true in all subgenres, not just the slasher movie. Yeah. Um, but Happy Death Day reminded me, the reason I love Happy Death Day a lot too is because, you know, you bring up House of Wax, there was, it's a good movie, but there was a very heavy, harsh yeah. era of slashers going on with the remake mm-hmm. era. Everything was very grainy and dirty and yellow and rough and saw and like just kind of brutal and nihilistic and like, like Happy Death Day kind of bounced in and was like, remember fun? Yeah. <laughs> Like, and Groundhog's Day, which we all love. So it's yeah. like, taking yeah, the best you know, like, And it brought in like, humor as well. Yeah. yeah which yeah. I know was not really included as part of the marketing campaign because horror comedies are a hard sell. But hard that said, sell, watching yeah. it, I consider it to be a horror comedy because yeah. there's just yeah. as much humor as it is an actual scare. Really funny. And honestly, Chris created a final girl that I think is right up there. Yeah. Like, and honestly, a lot of that though is Jessica Roth's performance is like insanely good. Like she really is so good in the movies. Um, So I really think it kind of ushered in, you know, cause at the time, like, right. There was kind of a little bit of a slasher lull going on in like the teens of two thousands, you know, we weren't getting much in, especially theatrically. Definitely. And, uh, not. Like the ones that I can think of during that time period are like Netflix gems and things like that. Yeah. Like it was not big. Yeah. So I think, uh, I think Happy Death Day came along at a time and kind of, you know, I wish it had caused like a bigger boon, mm-hmm. um, but it kind of gave like, oh, here's another little era that we're getting right now. Cause it had like, you know, Phil Nobile put it once to me that Freaky and Happy Death Day are old school slashers with a modern, uh, sense of empathy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really good way to look at Happy Death Day. Yeah. Um, which is new, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And it's just so fun. It is. Yeah. But it shows you PG 13 slasher movies can work. I would have never even paid attention <laughs> to the rating on that one. As long as it, it works, you pay attention. Well, and and Freaky similar because yeah. the opening of Freaky, it, it does that thing that usually horror comedy can't do, which is the opening is intense. The opening of Freaky is super really fun. intense. Oh and, my god! And tennis in. racket to the yeah. head. I just, I just remember yeah, being surprised by that. Fun. Yeah, and then, and then I'm pulled yeah. in. Well, that, I think that's the thing. Is yeah. like Chris really was smart when we were discussing Freaky when we were writing it. We, we knew it was rated R from the beginning. We knew we were going to go violent, but he really leaned into the idea that people remember him from his PG-13 slashers. Mm-hmm. So I, when I wrote, I wrote the first draft of the opening scene, and I was just doing your typical knife stabs. And Chris was like, no, dude, I'm like, I'm showing people we're going off the rails here. And I think those kills really set the tone. Yeah. For oh, my God, they do. You know, and then people were not expecting that from him. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a nice like rug pull. Uh, yeah, I still think uh, not just because you're here. I still think it's the most fun I had watching a movie like 
since the pandemic because when the pandemic started oh, I, remember, I think you're one of our first guests right uh you were yeah no well, our director director was i think yeah we had yeah, chris yeah. on chris was on one, oh, one cool. of the first couple episodes and i i i say that a little surprised with myself because what I, my leanings do tend to be the dark gnarly stuff and when i watch i also just love the performances i thought the the conceit was just so funny and they both did such good jobs of See, yeah, hearing each other. We surprised a lot of people. Yeah. I remember Freaky coming out near the election. Am I wrong on that? I think I may have gotten an early after. copy. Okay, yeah. Um, so yeah. I remember watching it leading up to the election. I think I got a, a, a screener link and I remember oh, good. watching it like two days before the election because um, I remember I was putting together a puzzle at the same time and I remember I did not put together the puzzle while I was watching the movie because I was just so captivated after that opening scene. <laughs> but I do remember checking my phone to be like, what thing did they do now? Um, and I have vivid memories of like that moment in time. Also, the, you know, pandemic. I remember when it was leading up to the release, Chris and I were like laughing. We're like, okay, what's the mood in the country going to be next week? Are people going to want to party because they're excited? Or are people going to be so butt-clenched oh. upset yeah. that they need... Well, it's <laughs> going to be half and half, you know? So. <laughs> it depends on where you right. are at the moment. So, yeah. Yeah, but, I, think, uh, I think the movie surprised a lot of people. I don't mm-hmm. think they... And I don't think they expected the warmth and emotion. Well, I, was, I think uh, the main which thing, honestly, is Chris's trademark. Yeah, but I think the main thing, and I, I remember me and you, maybe somebody was being a dick on Twitter once. I, I remember seeing it, somebody write to you or something, and I remember just thinking when I read that, I was like, yeah, but the difference is this movie and, and uh, you know some of the ones we've talked about. They're they're the kind of movies that. 20, 30, 40 years, they'll really have legs. Like, no matter what they're seen when they first hit, there's just some that just have such classic sensibilities because they're also good comedies. You know, they're also good heart. So that's a very difficult thing to pull off. So very few. I I feel like there's under 10 probably great ones in that genre. Oh, wow. In my opinion. Thanks, dude. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I really like my films. So, Uh, So, Elric, what's your number three? Uh, My last one's kind of like the gnarly version of what we're talking about. And like you, I, I went a lot further along and that's one I actually preferred it more going back to it than the first time I saw it. And that is uh, your next, um, because mm-hmm. it's, because it is going with self-referential ideas. Mm-hmm. It's mixing some subgenres, bringing a home evasion subgenre, but it's taking the final girl to like this. Re- and, and what's interesting is a lot of the people who didn't like the final girl and the reasoning it's for me, it was always the exact opposite. I, I got to a point watching so many movies where if somebody had some great skills to t- kill the bad guy and they're just the regular girl from high school, I started to go, but I don't understand at a certain point. I'm just what it becomes a trope. And then suddenly they introduce a character, you know, this Australian girl who has like this actual military survivalist training. And I so, awesome. so like refreshing in the moment, especially I was laughing my ass off just thinking, how cool is it that her own boyfriend has no clue, you know, AJ Bowen's her boyfriend. He has no clue that Shardy Vincent has this and it just fucks everything up. Like mm-hmm. everything that this film hinges on for these people to do this, what could have been a very simple task <laughs> to kill a family and, and inherit money or whatnot. Uh, and she is so good to her matter of fact way about going. So it's really comes down to like an, an idea idea of that character and the and her 
not playing it for humor. Like the film's funny because all the side characters, there's funny humor to it, but she's never funny. She is like straight as an arrow, how she's attacking the sequence. And I just, I found that I still think it's fairly singular in terms of the final girls that we've seen. I think the casting, um, if you know anything about indie film right now, even now it's just hilarious because it's like Amy Simetz, Ty West, Joe Swanberg, all directors Mm -hmm. in this movie, right? All indie directors, all Barbara. Barbara. And, and, and that's the other thing I, I did know is like, it also brought back Barbara Crampton, somebody who is much beloved, but this has changed in a way that alone, bringing her back for this role has changed indie cinema in the last 10 years because yeah. of how much she's done and how active she's become on the producing level on all, on all levels. So I, I just think, I it's, love her. yeah, it's really cool. All the things, but <laughs> she it, produced yeah. my new movie. I love her. Yeah. She's great. Oh, great. I love her. So it, it, it's also just a nasty, rough, ugly in the classic exploitation 70s way movie but it's also Mm -hmm. funny so i i think it's one i don't know where the rep is i I know it was a on release disappointment because it had this huge bidding war and i think they took in my opinion they took too long to release it they took too long sat around and i remember that's one of those where like we got screening links like a year before they sent it out oh god why did they do that yeah they just sat on it and no one was in the theater that i saw it when it Mm -hmm. came out and but i i think now even though it's not a thanksgiving movie i do think it is of all the slashers the one that should be adopted as the Mm -hmm. thanksgiving slasher 100 because it feels like it with the family it does the family chelsea uh, chelsea stardust watches it every yeah, something. it makes sense. And I like that it, Brennan. I think it's sense. fun. So I'm a big fan of this one, and I and I see the direct lineage from Scream, even though they're, again, they're evolving it into something else, which I thought was cool. I think it also has influenced filmmakers, mm-hmm. honestly, even though it didn't have, like, a huge yeah. box office. I think there's got to be a lot of horror filmmakers now who, like, I know for us when we were doing Freaky and Time Cut and all these other things is you think about her because yeah. you have to go with the flow. You have to go with the times. And it's like the, the passive person who only finds her gumption in the last five minutes just isn't good enough anymore. Yeah. There's a lot of your next in Ready or Not. I've always felt yeah. like you can absolutely there, the, the female survivalist yeah. who's going to, you know, fight through the whole movie. Yeah. Um, well, y'all, for my number three, we're going to go back and we're going to get sleazy. Yeah. Seriously. I kind of wish I wasn't ending with this one because I put this in as like my guilty pleasure. Uh-huh. This is by no means the best of the Neo Slashers. But holy fucking shit, I will watch Disturbing Behavior any oh, yeah. day of the goddamn week. That's a fun one. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I love this movie so much. And this is one that I read. Razor. Yeah. I, I will never <laughs> recapture what I had on my first watch where I was like watching it, watching it. Cool. Yeah. It's got, you know, Nick Stahl. It's got James Marsden. Holy fuck. Is Joey Potter the slut in this movie? Like from <laughs> Katie Holmes was all types of like Dawson's Creek yeah. sweet. Yep. And then all of a sudden she's in this movie as like the smoking, like, turbo like hot topic out girl who's like you know eyeliner dry (laughs) humping people in their truck you know tom cruise still watches this movie i'm sure he's sitting in his (laughs) truck watching disturbing behavior on loop what you lost son oh my gosh so this i love that movie it and it was everything that i needed at the time period because i loved x-files so much 
And then seeing this, you know, this discarded X-Files episode get turned into an entire movie, a sleazy movie with these hot teens that I'd been watching and stuff. And, um, and the whole thing, I mean, it, it's a very similar setup to the faculty, which I think also owes a lot to screen. Um, where it's, you know, the rebel kids notice that people at their school are changing and they have to band together to figure out what's going on. Um, but for some reason, disturbing behavior. Just, I mean, it's literally like Stepford Wives High School, but I love it so much. Um, and so this for me, even though that it's not exactly a slasher where you're like picking somebody off and it's a killer doing it, it follows the same premise and the yeah, same 100%. setup. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely definitely influenced by Scream. I um I love that they try to say, I love that that movie attempted to create slang. Yeah, <laughs> like, do you remember how often they would say "razor" about yes. something being cool? <laughs> I can bring that back. Uh, the three of us. It's up to the three of us on Twitter tonight. You know, <laughs> oh, was, totally razor. I wrote Wes Craven's. Um, oh gosh, what is it? Uh, my uh, salt to take has all that slang. right? Oh my god, it's Fang time. Oh yeah, that, is it a one or a oh ten? Oh my god. That was just bizarre. That yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, creating your own slang. Well, I mean, Star Wars did that as well. That's totally wizard. Um, but yeah, so creating your own slang. For movie. <laughs> it's cool, guys. Um, nothing keeps you hip like that. But yeah, disturbing behavior. Um, I have to give some of my my runner ups, or I'll say I have I have a subgrouping of movies that I have to discuss because they aren't horror. So I couldn't put them in my top three for this, but God damn it. They did everything for me when I was like a 19, 20 year old girl watching these movies. And that is Jawbreaker and Drop Dead Gorgeous. Um, mm. Holy shit. Like I, I met Darren actually on your podcast. Like was the first time I met Darren. Um, oh my God, really? Yeah. And I was like fangirling <laughs> out where I was like, you have no idea what she did to me when I was in college. That movie was like everything. Um, but we saw this rise of what I'll call dark teen comedies yeah. during that time. And Elric, I know you haven't seen Drop Dead Gorgeous yet. No. It's hard. I I still have my DVD copy because it's so hard to find. I will give it to you. You okay. need to see Drop Dead That's Gorgeous. Right. It is just um, very unpolitically correct now, I'm guessing. But there's something that is Oh, just I better not so... watch it then. I'd hate people <laughs> to find out that I watched a movie. <laughs> that was pretty um, I love it. But there is, um, you know, there's a lot of anorexic jokes in it that I'm pretty sure are not are not okay today. <laughs> but that said, it, so it is in '97. This was such a wicked movie about a beauty pageant in like middle of nowhere Midwest where the girls are like picking <laughs> each other off, and it was so this beautiful combination of like comedy and horror, and then Jawbreaker, the same thing, where it was like girls killing each other to climb this kind of social ladder and it was just so wicked and had this horror edge to it but it wasn't quite horror um so i have to give mad props to those because i truly believe that those movies came out of kind of the teen craze post scream we're still gonna do a 90s episode at some point i know so, so i'll come back bring me on please bring me yeah on. no yeah we'll, we'll go broader because <laughs> yeah. because there are so many i mean there was so many movies we, that it's nice to have those touch points now i know we're not mm-hmm. we've gone longer than we thought probably on that part so Maybe we'll just throw out our deep cut slashers. Deep cuts. So uh, just just to give people who are maybe less familiar with some of the older ones that might have mm-hmm. been pre-Scream. So we each picked one just to give a wreck. So Michael, yep. yours is a, a one of the gnarliest of the gnarly, in my opinion. Oh my God, I love so it good. so much. And I just, uh, the only, I'm so glad I watched it on like Sunday yeah. or Saturday. I just watched it recently for the first time in probably 20 years. Yeah. 
Um, and it's so good as the Prowler. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. It's really good movie. It still is good to me. Yeah, the, like, yeah, it's Savini did the effects, right? So the effects are really yeah. intense and the kills are really the kills brutal. are amazing. Yeah. Oh my God. The, the garden hook. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the guy getting the knife stabbed through the top of his head, like yeah, the shower scenes, and and, and the look yeah. of the killer. It's so interesting because it's kind of like got a military feel and a black mm-hmm. black. Face. It's really impo- you can't you just can't penetrate what it is, what at all. And the um, this to me is like a it benefits from actually being <laughs> filmed right around the time it's Friday the Thirteenth and coming, but came out after. Yeah. But it was it, that movie benefits from not being. Um, influenced by friday the 13th because it still kind of has the halloween quality to it where it really is focusing on story and character and joseph zeta's direction i think is really great in the movie and i think the look of the movie is like very awesome it's yeah like super atmospheric and dreamlike there's almost like a almost like you're in a flashback yeah, especially the, the, op- well, the opening you are right and that, and that feels very yeah. dreamy when you're set in the past something yeah. happens to a kid who gives a girl a rose and you know fast yeah, forward you know 30 years or whatever yeah, yeah. And it's yeah and it's got like the the filter they used on the camera has like the uh like fog on mm-hmm. all the edges of the yeah. shot it's just like it, i don't know it's just got this really yeah it's got this really cool just quality to it that really stands out from that era and it pairs really well because i feel like after watching i was like oh these movies kind of look similar and act similar i think it pairs would pair really well with the uh, my bloody valentine yes like it a, would. yeah yeah they're, yeah they're both you know? rough it also has one it does one thing i don't, don't want to put any spoilers but it it casts somebody uh, Farley Granger, who to me yes. is like a real throwback to Rope. Mm-hmm. He's one of the killers yep. in the, yes. the, two, the gay couple in Rope, and he's also in one of my my favorite Hitchcock is quickly over the years becoming Strangers on a Train. Weirdly enough, and every time yes, I, I watch that too, yeah, every time I watch it, I'm like, they're, they're so good. The performances, so mm-hmm. seeing this like Hitchcock regular uh, like turn up in this brutal uh, the kind of movie that Hitchcock would have made if he was allowed to. Yes, you know the Prowler. Yes. I feel like if at the end of his career he would have gone, yes, I would like to make that after after. Their frenzy yes, love to, make love to do that movie. yeah yeah so anyway i, I actually I like the reason we watched it is because we've been my fiance brian and i have been on a hitchcock oh cool kick. yeah oh nice and we watched yeah we watched rope and then because of rope we watched strangers on a train because of farley granger mm-hmm. and then i went to his page while watching strangers on a train and was like oh my god that dude is in the problem yeah. Yeah. and so that made me watch the problem oh cool Cool. Yeah, well, that's that's even cooler just, that we yeah. picked that. Yeah, it's yeah. actually the yeah. other performance in Strangers in Train that is one of my favorite of all time. Like the the bad guy is just his name just left my brain as I start talking about such a good. It movie. is so good. anyway. Okay, so that's yeah. my nerd. but yeah. that's a great pick, and that's a, a gnarly movie. Elric, it's on Tubi. Okay. Oh, it's on Tubi now. Okay. Yeah, Prowler on Tubi. Um, mine's just one that I've gr- I'm growing to like more and more. And it was remade. No one mentioned it. The remake in uh, the '90s or early, no, probably early 2000s. Uh, but I've grown to really like this one. And so the title's still mainstream, but the film still is underseen. That's House on Sorority Row. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I try to recommend this all the time now because no one has seen this. No, yeah, the, yeah, the remake it's, of the remakes. That was the one where I was just like, oh, okay, whatever. I kind of forgot it already. Like uh, that and Prom Night were the two new remakes where I just. I kind of went, I saw them in theaters and have, couldn't even tell you anything. Uh, maybe I should rewatch them. But this one was so, um, I mean, A, it's, it's really interesting. You, you basically got the sorority. They are, uh, they all live in this house. Okay. At some point, uh, they decide they're going to, one of the girls who's particularly, uh, bullshy and kind of in your face, uh, decides to play a prank on the woman 
who owns or kind of looks after the house on the break. The they, house mom. Yeah. yeah, they shoot her and kill her and decide to get rid of the body in the pool and the pool becomes such a central <laughs> gross motif throughout this uh not not to mention my favorite line ever by an extra which is this uh big naked guy is just in the pool and he just looks at this thing and he goes i'm a sea pig always one of those lines that <laughs> with me my whole life where I'm like what is what is he what is this guy talking about anyway but the movie uh it just had i really like the girls I, I like watching them in this movie and a lot of the movies from this period I don't like a lot of the times it's just like, oh yeah, blah, blah, blah. Nothing. They're not saying anything. This one, I, I kind of like yeah. these characters. I like their offshoots, but then yeah, like halfway cool. through the movie, it, it, you know, so something, somebody related to that uh, character killed, it comes from kind of a hidden part of the house. And I won't say more than that, but man, there's a sequence where uh, the girl's drugged and it's one of the most inventive sequences in a slasher movie where just the way she starts perceiving things, it's not the typical everything's hazy and no, it's like right. super out there and dreamy and kind of scary. Um, the mask is great. The mask is great too. Yeah. And, and the creepy kind of kids music that mm-hmm. plays. So uh-huh. It's just one of those movies that I saw it a long time ago and didn't think much about it again. And then so good. Yeah. Sort of a few years ago. You did last summer before I know you did last yeah, summer. Yeah, yeah. And so I just think, and now that it's got a decent release, I think this is one that will probably, you know, could pick up a lot of cred with people. I have uh, not uh, seen this in so long. I have very oh, little so recollection I think you would have fun. Oh, okay. I think you'd have a lot yeah. of fun. Also on Tubi. Yeah. Okay. Also on Tubi. And also our Queer World, remember Queer yeah. World? Oh our my God, yeah. Song, our theme song was a line of dialogue oh. from that movie. Oh my god, that is but awesome! Not a sea pig. So <laughs> <laughs> it was. How do we know she is alive? Oh yeah, yeah. I do remember that. I remember. Oh, that's the girl. Oh, the one girl has the weirdest voice I've ever heard in any movie. Morgan. Oh my god. Oh my god. You'll ever hear in your Just, life. It's yeah. How does she know? We were, yeah, I totally can see it now that you yeah. say that loud. How do we know she is alive? So that don't, don't pick the two thousands house in certain row if you want to hear that line. <laughs> Okay, so my um, deep cut is one from the neo-slasher movement that I just thought was underseen. It's one that I've kind of come to appreciate. I didn't hate it at the time, but then rewatching it a couple of years ago, I was kind of like, this is actually a good movie and nobody ever saw it. And that is The Curve, a.k.a. Dead Man's Curve from 1998. I've seen it. I haven't seen that. No one has seen this. So this came out. I've seen it. I'm pretty sure. I'm glad (laughs) Um, because I don't think anybody else has. It pretty much did like a direct-to-video release for the most part. I don't remember it playing theaters. And of course, it was like overshadowed by your urban legend, which was the same year and your Valentine and your I still know what you did last summer. And um, Dead Man on Campus. And Dead Man on Campus. Yeah, which is a similar plot as well. Um, because this is kind of using the same setup as Dead Man on Campus. And it's using an urban legend as well. Um, and it's an urban legend that I even remember hearing at col- college, which is if your roommate commits suicide, you get an automatic 4.0 for the semester because of your emotional hardship. And I remember hearing that at my college Same. when I was in school. Like that was the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the setup is um, that they are trying to get their roommates to die, but they have to make it look like suicide. Um, it's still the same concept of the Neo Slasher where it's got the star cast. This is Matthew Lillard, now oh, post-stream. Carrie okay. right. Russell, same year that Urban Legends came out. It's also got Dana Delaney in it as a professor. Oh my God, um, that's right. Yeah, yeah. This was like Exit to Eden era Dana Delaney. Too. Michael, Michael was, Barton, right? Yeah, Michael Barton, like peak hotness Dana Delaney. Um, and this oh is written God. by Dan Rosen, who also did one of those other like dark comedies of the 90s that I was talking about. He wrote Last Supper, oh, um, yeah, which I absolutely loved. But yeah, this one, it's... 
smart. Like it was just smart. And it's one of those that I just feel like no one is talking about. Um, so please look up the curve or dead. Really good. Okay. Really good. Never got much attention, but really. Okay, good. So I'm looking at it really quick though, because I'm really glad you brought this up. I haven't thought about it in forever and it is a really underseen movie. And it's also a very good movie. It's like the sibling for cherry falls of this era that is yep. criminally underwatched. It premiered at Sundance. Seriously? Wow. Premiered at Sundance, I'm reading right now, when it was called Dead Man's Curve. I wonder what Um, happened to Because I remember this being one like, well, I've seen everything else. I wonder what this one is. Like, it was a haphazard video store rental for me. Um, So I think it got, like, just, it was renamed because of Dead Man on Campus. Um, Hmm. I think it just was, like, I wonder if it just got fucked because MTV just went with their money and power and probably just the people that made the curve are probably just like, cause I'm not seeing anything here. Why it didn't do anything after yeah. Sundance, but it, and its budget was only a million bucks. Oh, it was distributed by Trimark. That might be part of it. Yeah. It looks like it's on Amazon like Prime. It. So for those who are as excited it's, as I am now, <laughs> I want to really good. It. The, yeah. I haven't seen it really in twisty. a number of years. Yeah. I remember it being like super twisted. I need to rewatch it's really it twisty well. too. Like mm-hmm. a lot of like, Oh, you think, you know, it's ha- going to happen and it totally pulls totally. the rug out from a new. And do you know what else it also reminds? It just made me think of too. I could talk about this era of films forever. I'm <laughs> sorry. Um, but the curve reminds me of gossip. Do you remember gossip? <gasps> oh my God. So I almost put that on my list. Cause um, <laughs> no, Marcy, you're not allowed to put uh, it on. <laughs> <laughs> I loved that cast. I actually rewatched that for our Deep Cuts Patreon show probably like two years ago um, because I loved that movie so much. So like, I thought it was such a cool concept of like, let's start this rumor for a college project and then like people end up dead. Um, yeah, I and- mean, it essentially, it, it, it was Twitter before Twitter. Right. It really, because they were canceling people, and it, but it was yes. all happening in this like little campus microcosm. I just remember um, Eric Bogosian. I just know that once you have uh, Professor Eric Bogosian, <laughs> you're onto something. No, I remember that, and then I remember Swim Fan, and I remember there was all these ones that like every couple Shallow of years. Grave was another one. Well, not the, um, wait, you're not talking about the Shallow Grave, the, the, UK. the Shallow oh, Grave, the UK the one, Danny, oh. UK yeah, one. That, that movie's on this incredible. same era. Yeah, that movie's incredible. Oh, what's the one? Oh, gosh. Dead, not disturbing behavior. Oh, gosh. Why can't I remember the name now? It had Nev Campbell in it, but sexy Nev Campbell. Um, and she was like- Wild Things? Wild Things. Oh, right, Thank yeah. you. Thrillers. Wild yeah, things. you're right. Yeah. And then if you want yeah, sexy Joshua Jackson, you have the skulls. So, you know, there's something for everyone. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. They each all had their sexy Yeah. Movies. Yeah. <laughs> an amazing time to watch movies. We've got to step away from the 90s really or we'll fun. never leave the 90s. We will never leave. <laughs> no, so Elric, yes. you still owe me our 90s countdown at some oh, yes, point. Yes, we're going to do a 90s so, countdown. Yeah. But Michael, thank That's you so much for joining us. We thank will have you, you back That's on fun. this show when Time Cut comes yeah. out. I can't wait. Perfect. Um, so yeah, that is awesome. And let me remind everybody that tonight's show was sponsored by Varez Saraband and the Scream Original Motion Picture Soundtracks box set. 
The last installment of Scream lands in theaters very soon, so revisit all the masterful scores from the horror franchise's first four films with the Scream original motion picture soundtrack box set. Available on four LPs or six CDs, each collection is housed in a unique jacket which folds out into a ghost face mask. Speaking of the new film, the brand new score can be ordered today on vinyl in a reflective mirror board jacket or on CD or digital formats. Own the musical legacy of Scream. Visit your favorite retailer or shop at the label directly at VerezSaraBand.com. I'm going to spell that V-A-R-E-S-E-S-A-R-A-B-A-N-D-E. That is VerezSaraBand.com, where Colors of the Dark listeners can save 20% off for a limited time by using the code SCREAM20. So y'all go pick up that box set. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Mike and everyone. Um, so please fun. check out our Patreon show, Deep Cuts. If you have not, I will be rewatching um, House on Sorority Row, and we'll be discussing it yes. there. I'm sure. Um, and hopefully, so, yeah. by the time we're back, please, we will have all uh, seen the new Scream. By the time the next episode, I bet we will have. So, a couple by weeks the time the next episode, I think we will have. Yeah, so, so definitely. Yeah. Okay. Thank you guys so much. Have a phenomenal night. Thank you. The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. Associate producer is Jessica Soth of Amir. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And, of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado. <laughs>